The fourth industrial revolution will impact our lives completely. It will not only change how we communicate, how we produce, how we consume, it will change actually us, our own identity. Our own identity, which of course gives life uh, to such uh, policies and uh, developments like uh, smart traffic, smart government, smart cities. What we will see is that uh, everything will be integrated into an ecosystem driven by big data and uh, driven uh, particularly by close cooperation also of governments uh, with um, business, civil society. Actually, it's not just a digital revolution, it's digital, of course physical, it's nanotechnology, but it's also biological. And those three dimensions provides a particular force to this revolution. The future is already here. The future has begun. Why this fourth industrial revolution is so crucial? It's coming like a tsunami. What is essential for the future in terms of leadership capabilities is to develop contextual intelligence. We are living in fast-changing systems. We have to embrace this change with passion. I know change creates different feelings in different people. Feelings of fear. Sometimes feelings of resistance. But change means opportunities. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. Change means lots of opportunities, does it? Well, let's take the opportunity today to dive down into the pages of history to look at the subject of what they're calling transhumanism. We're going to do some definitions and some research on this and ask the question, is any of this stuff really new? Did this all just get invented a few decades ago by a bunch of technocrats and scientists? Is it all for benevolent purposes to try to upgrade humanity to the next dimension, to the next level, to the next phase of our evolution, as they say? Or is there something more sinister afoot? Is there something actually very anti-human about transhumanism? And of course, uh, we're going to be looking at this from a lot of different perspectives. Welcome, everybody. 
Uh, that little clip there was just a few different clips from chapter five of my series, Cult of the Medics, which you can check out right now for free over at cultofthemedics.com. Please go check it out. Please help me share it far and wide if you enjoy it, that is. Um, and this will do this presentation today is going to work very well with that, with actually all the research that I do. Um, some of the ideas I'm presenting are going to be a first for you guys. Some of you, some of you've heard these before, but I don't know if you've heard it mixed in this way. And we're going to bring in some of the fringe. We're going to go outside the box. We're going to go into the deep end, if you will. And don't worry, there's plenty of room for everybody, no matter what your paradigm is, no matter what your worldview is, um, whatever religious background you come from, political background. We're just looking at this. We're just asking questions. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm just a collector of experts. And I kind of look at my job here as like I'm somewhat of a DJ and I'm trying to remix a lot of the information that I've been looking at for a long time. It comes from my notes from uh, many of the authors, the books, the work I do, the interviews that I do. Um, I've been compiling this for about 20 years. And uh, that's when I kind of woke up a long time ago to questioning reality, questioning the official sources in a, what I believe to be a healthy way to try to look for the mavericks, the rare thinkers, the people that really dedicated their lives to different pieces of what I'm going to roll out for you today. And I've always wondered you know, as I've been looking through all these different ideas, uh, entertaining these different theories, seeing if anything is relevant to what we're going through right now, uh, I've basically felt like my job now is to sort of present it to you guys, those who are listening, so that you can make up your own mind about any of it. You don't have to take it all on board, I'm not trying to convert you to any way of thinking. This is just the stuff I'm interested in. This is the stuff that pops into my crazy head when I start hearing announcements like that from Klaus Schwab, the director of the World Economic Forum, <clears throat> who wrote one of the biggest conspiracy theory books of all time called The Great Reset, which came out during the pandemic. And uh, the media still calls it a conspiracy theory to talk about it. It's amazing. Uh, but it's not, a, it's not theory. It's real. These people believe in an international system, top-down control over every living organism on the planet, and they believe they are the ones to do it. And I just kind of want to know, who the hell do these people really think they are, and what the hell are they really doing, and what is this all really about? And so there has to be a combination, when I remix this stuff for you, uh, it's going to be a combination of just stone-cold facts and a combination of speculation activating your curiosity, peering into the mysteries of history, the mysteries of what we are as human beings, the mysteries behind all of these uh, different ways of thinking in the world and trying to get to the bottom of it. Ultimately, the goal is to try to find out the truth. And I'll leave it to you to decide where you see the truth here. And as I present this, I want you to um, feel comfortable with the fact that I'm not just trying to put one point of view forward for you. I'm going to do my very best to present this in a way that even when you hear from different authors and different ideas, different quotes, different pieces of information, these people come from their worldview. You know, some are religious minded, some are more atheistic, some are more out of the box, some have their own completely different paradigm. And the language they use to relay this information, even when I talk about stuff from ancient texts, we're going to read some of that stuff, pulling up some elements from within the Bible and other ancient texts. And through that language, 
there's the issue of interpretation, right? Isn't this what we've been fighting over for thousands of years? Interpretation? Isn't that still what we're fighting over right now in the scientific world or the world we live in with what we've been through the last couple of years, just taking that under consideration? It's all about, well, what perspective you come from? What books did you read? What experts did you listen to? What, where are you getting your information? You're only as good as the information that you have. So if you're getting information that's good, then you'll have a good perspective. If you have information that isn't complete or it's misunderstood or misinterpreted or wrong or deliberate disinformation being put out there, then obviously your worldview isn't going to equate to any kind of reality, is it? It's not really going to benefit your life. So um, this, I'll try my best to translate these different perspectives in a way that can be open for anybody. Cause I'm not here to just promote one particular view. I'm here to say, I think we've got enough. We've got smoke. Okay. That's what I've got on some things. I've got smoke and usually where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, we can argue who built the fire, who put it there in the first place, what kind of fire it is, how big the fire it is and all that kind of stuff. What kind of wood they burning in the fire. We can debate all that stuff, but can we just agree there's a fire? Can we agree that there's something weird going on in this crazy world we live in. What is happening on this planet? What are we? What the hell is this place? Who runs it? What's the agenda? Why does it seem like the good guys are always getting their arses kicked? Is there any hope? Are they going to turn us into robots? Who the hell would do that? Who the hell would want to do that? What kind of people are espousing an idea that when we pull back the layers is, in my opinion, one of the most anti-human ideologies I've ever come across and yet it's being promoted as the savior of humanity. It's really weird. But it's so old, it's new, my friends. This is not the first time this has happened. And that's what my argument will be today. Transhumanism, is it modern? Is it ancient? Is there something known as ancient transhumanism? I don't even know if I've heard that term from anywhere else. I'm not trying, if somebody else came up with it, I don't care. I'm just, I, I thought of it and I went, hey, maybe this stuff isn't so new. Maybe it's old. Maybe it's ancient. Maybe this is actually a continuing process, continuing program of some kind. Just speculating wildly here. But let's see. Uh, it's going to be a longer one. So, guys, I hope you packed a lunch. Uh, if you can't catch the whole stream, don't worry. The archives will be available right after. I'm uh, Today, I am streaming on the Foxhole, Pilled, DLive, Twitch, Rockfin, and Rumble. I am now streaming live on Rumble, which makes my life easier. So, uh, thank you, Rumble. And you can always go back and get the archives. You can also listen to this if you just want to listen. Although I do have lots of video clips that I've been working for a long time on. Um, but if you just want to listen, you can go check me out on Podbean. Just look up Way of the Truth Warrior or Truth Warrior on Podbean or on iTunes. You can go listen there. So where to begin? Well, I think what I'm going to do is quickly play this quote from uh, cl this clip that I made about a, a quote. And, and just so you know, guys, the last probably five days straight, I've been working on this, the videos, the editing, the slides, the re just collect coilating the research, making sure I've got everything set up proper. So it's a lot of work that I've put in, but it's a labor of love. And uh, I've got loads of clips to play for you. It's good. Some of them are going to be shorter, some of them longer, some of them a little bit dry on certain elements because we're just going through information that I think is very necessary. Some of them are very entertaining. I put a lot of work into it. Um, so it's going to be sort of a smorgasbord here. And I'm hoping in the end 
as I present these different puzzle pieces, you can put them together in your own way and you're free to do that. And, uh, yeah. So this clip here is actually the initial clip that I put in the series trailer for my documentary series, Cult of Emetics. And you can check out the whole trailer on the website, but it's what launched the series and it's what launched me into researching the series. It's a question that I picked up uh, a long time ago and it's haunted me ever since. And I couldn't help but think of this when I was preparing for this whole presentation. So let's take it away and we'll be back in about two minutes here. Check it out. Charles Ford was an American writer and researcher who specialized in anomalous phenomena. In the early 1900s, he made a very interesting statement. He said, I think we're property. I should say we belong to something, that something owns this earth, all others warned off. And that all of this has been known, perhaps for ages, to certain ones upon this earth, a cult or order members of which function like bellwethers to the rest of us, or as superior slaves or overseers, directing us in accordance with instructions received from somewhere else in our mysterious usefulness. Is there anything to this? Is there anything to it? Is there anything to it? And if there is, what are the implications? of this. What does it really mean? Well, we're going to ask more that and more. You'll see how it all ties in as we go. But um, because I called this ancient transhumanism, um, let's define transhumanism, go through a few slides here. And so right off the bat, I just checked this out. This is just I found some mainstream sources. This is what they're going to tell you. When you bring this up, transhumanism, and yes, I separated that word on purpose. I'll get to that. But this one first just comes from Britannica.com, and it says transhumanism is the social and philosophical movement. Do you get that? It's social and it's philosophical. So it's a new paradigm, okay? It's the social and philosophical movement devoted to promoting the research and development of robust human enhancement technologies. Such technologies would augment or increase human sensory reception, emotive ability, or cognitive capacity, as well as radically improve human health and extend human lifespans. Sounds absolutely wonderful, doesn't it? Let's go to academic.oup. They're, they're talking about what is it all about? What's, what's the whole purpose behind transhumanism? They say the core of transhumanism is to encourage the use of biotransformative technologies in order to enhance the human organism with the ultimate aim being to modify the human organism so radically as to quote, overcome fundamental human limitations. That's from a transhumanist frequently asked question from 2016 and thereby the human as such. So, let me do that bit again. There's a few pieces I want to pull out of that one, especially. So they're saying the core of transhumanism is to encourage the use of biotransformative technologies. What does that mean? It's a big word, biotransformative. Well, it's talking about transforming you as a biological entity. 
incorporating cybernetics, artificial intelligence, um, robotics, which I guess would go with cybernetics, uh, the integration of nanotechnology, which I think alone, <laughs> if you just get into the creepy world of nanotechnology and just how far advanced they are with it, and God knows where they're putting that stuff into, right? That the goal is to introduce this into the fish tank, as I call it, the, the, the population of human beings, the land roamers, us humans roaming around on this planet on the surface, being directed by agencies unknown, blissfully ignorant, trusting who we think we should trust, believing what we're told from our masters. And they're now talking about how this is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. We're going to upgrade you. We're going to upgrade you. And we're going to do that by transforming your biology, your psychology at a fundamental level using our technology. And we are going to therefore overcome fundamental human limitations. That's the sales pitch, but we'll follow it up with and thereby overcome humanity overcome the human organism and recreate it in this new technological way. And so you, you know, why is it that some people absolutely love this idea? They love it. I have friends that talk about it. They're like, why you always got this problem with technology? I don't have a problem with technology. I'm using technology right now. I got questions about the people that are bringing this into the world and why. Is this a natural flow of history? Is this an organic thing that happened? We went from living in the, in the trees and in the forests and in the deserts. We built civilization, industrial revolution, discovered electricity started building technology, circuit boards, all of a sudden, you know, computers, cars, planes. And then now here we are injecting technology right into our bodies and building a metaverse, which is a synthetic reality and wearing massive goggles that create virtual reality. And we're moving further and further away from our organic roots as, as, as we were, as we are naturally, whether you look at it as a process of nature or a process of divinity or divine order or God, uh, that we're deviating from that and we're being upgraded. Who's doing this and how are they getting away with it? And what, what is really the end? And I had this little debate, um, with a few friends of mine, mostly just because they're curious about how I think about it. And I'm not, I just want to say I'm not against any kind of technology. I think there's a lot of good that can be done by advanced technology. I think technology can help us in many different ways. But this is not what they're talking about. They're not just talking about a technology assisting humans. They're talking about technology changing humanity into technology itself, a new technology, a new human, humanity 2.0, which means you're eradicating, like that, that quote, you know, post-human means after human, the post-human world. Post-human means after. This is a big project that I think is bigger than we can imagine. And so what we're trying to do is see the forest from the trees and zoom out 
Forget about 40,000 foot view. Let's go to the 100,000 foot view. So my question to you is, after what we've heard with those two definitions, is that the true agenda behind transhumanism? Is the true agenda behind transhumanism just a benevolent way of trying to save humanity by upgrading, improving lifespans, helping with healthcare, making our lives easier? Is that... I mean, because the vast majority of people, that's what they believe it is. So then when you're arguing with people about it, if you come from a perspective such as mine, which is I'm very, very skeptical about it, I am not optimistic about it at all, at this, at what this new, what this type of transhumanism is and where it's headed. Um, you know, you got to ask yourself, is that really what's going on? And we, we, we need to ask because they're doing it. They're in the process of creating this new technotronic world. So all the people around you are going to believe these two points that they're going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'll buy that. That's what's written on the front of the package. So that's what the ingredients of this thing is, right? They must, they would never lie about what they're putting in the package, right? Seems rational, seems reasonable. Life is hard. Let's make it easier. But to me, this is just a script that's made simple for simple-minded people who haven't looked at the whole picture to really go, all right, maybe I'm not against technology or enhancing certain aspects of what it is to be human, but maybe I've got some questions about the people that are behind this current emanation or reflection of this agenda in our world, the people at the positions of power, known liars and criminals. Maybe I got questions about them at the top I'm talking about, not your low level scientists. It's all just wheels within wheels. It's a big Rubik's cube of compartmentalization. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the real progenitors of this and who's really pushing it and who's really funding it and who they work for and what they're all about. So that's where I'm at. So is this the true agenda? I don't think it is. By the time this is done, you let me know if you still think that that is the true agenda or if there's something else going on. So the next question would be, who is enacting this agenda? Who's doing this? Who really is doing this? If we go zoom all the way to the top, who's really behind this? Is it new? Right? And let me see. Yeah, perfect timing. So let's just start getting into the mindset of the people that are ushering this new transhumanist paradigm into our world and into our minds. Let's start with Yoal, Yoval or Yoal Noah Harari, right? Who's he's basically. Klaus Schwab's top advisor. He's a professor from Israel. Okay. This is what he's saying. And this, you're going to hear his words. I've got a lot of clips of him that we have to suffer through because you need to hear what they believe. We heard Klaus Schwab open this up. Let's hear Yoel, but just a couple little things from him. This is from his website. History began when humans invented gods and we will, and this will end when humans become gods. So they're talking about the end of history. He's saying the end of history. A lot of people think the end of history happened in 2012. Just when you look at the alignments, the predictions, when things really started to get crazy. I mean, you could have argued the two, year 2000, it ushered us into a whole new chapter of this. But if you go from for 12 years, interesting number that 12. 
So if you go from 2000 to 2012, that was a big piece of building this up. A lot of people felt that 2012 was when history ended, not that the world ended, not that humanity ended, but it was the end of a particular paradigm of what we're calling humanity 1.0, right? So if you take that and he's saying what I just said, history began when humans invented gods and will end when humans become gods. He says humans are now hackable animals. And this is just giving you the perspective of how these globalists think, how these people think. They have a particular philosophy. They have a particular worldview. And it leaks out into public statements. And I would argue that even behind the curtain, when the cameras aren't rolling, these people have their own private form of religion, their own private form of worship. They might not like those two words. They might come across to you as some kind of atheists or whatever, but they are nothing of the sort, let me tell you. Just from what I think, right? So he says, humans are now hackable animals. The whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit and nobody knows what's happening inside them and that they have free will, that's over. <laughs> I mean, come on. If free will is over, then freedom is over. Do you understand that? I hope you understand that. We have to add that up. One plus one equals two. If free will is over, according to him, advisor to the World Economic Forum, just at a certain level of the hierarchy, he's just one of the public personas, right? He doesn't know he has any power or anything like that. He's just rolling out the philosophy for the transhumanist future. He's one of the new modern day priests. We've had priest classes going all the way back into antiquity that have been the arbiters between the gods or the elites or the controllers or the archons or the cosmocrates or whatever you want to look at it as. There's always been the arbiter between, the, the mediator between, the vicars. This is one of the new vicars of the new gods. The new gods are AI, cybernetic, technological, technocratic beings. And this is one of the new priests for that new world religion that they're bringing in called transhumanism. If you want to know what the, for those that have studied in the conspiracy research movement for a long time, and you heard the predictions about a new world religion coming in with a new world order and all that kind of stuff, which never came from us that were researching it. It came from the mouths of these people that were talking about it at the top. I think this transhumanism thing is the new religion, scientism, transhumanism, right? That's just my opinion. But let's hear a little bit more. And the reason we're going to do this, guys, some of these are a few minutes long, is because I believe you have to get the profile. You got to get the, you got to hear the fine print of what they're building. They're building a world around you right now, well outside of your purview. And you want to know what they're telling you publicly. You got to take the notes of what they're saying publicly. And then we can speculate all day about what are they not telling you, right? So if they're saying this in public, well, what are they not telling you yet, right? So let's hear from Mr. Harari. I want to talk to you today about the future of our species and really the future of life. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different 
from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. These will be the main products of the economy, of the 21st century economy. Not textiles and vehicles and weapons, but bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Those who control the data control the future, not just of humanity, but the future of life itself. Because today, data is the most important asset in the world. In ancient times, land was the most important asset. And if too much land became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into aristocrats and commoners. Then in the modern age, in the last two centuries, machinery replaced land as the most important asset. And if too many of the machines became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into classes, into capitalists and proletariats. Now data is replacing machinery as the most important asset. And if too much of the data becomes concentrated in too few hands, humanity will split not into classes, it will split into species, into different species. Now why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. Wow. So, a lot to break down there. I won't even spend too much time on it because I got so much to go for, but I hope you picked up on a few different key terms and phrases that were used in that little segment. There's going to be more. Number one, he who controls the data. He who controls the data. Remember Star Trek data, right? Who's, what's the data? Ones and zeros? The information they're collecting you from all your smart devices? Or are we talking about genetics? Are we also talking about the data that is the algorithmic computer archive library of human thought? that has been collected since social media was invented. So we've been all participating in chat rooms. I started back in the day on MSN chat. That's actually how I met my wife. <laughs> we met online and here we are 20 years later together. Um, but I've, you know, we started in these chat rooms, these forums, and then it evolved into your fate in Facebook, into Twitter. And now there's a war censorship. Can you say what you really want to say? I mean, they don't believe you have free will, so they don't believe humans are free because in order to be free, you would have to have the will to operate as a free being. If you don't have free will, then you aren't free, right? Is that, that makes sense to me now. And to clarify, and I don't want to do a whole show on this, but quick segue here, 
I believe that if you don't exercise your will, if you don't earn freedom internally first, then you are going to sit in the default settings that are in, that are part of the package when you come out of your mother's womb and then you are now influenced by your parents, by your culture, by your teachers, by your priests, by your friends, by your relatives, by the society, by the media. It just keeps your influences grow out and out and out. And all of a sudden you are a thinking being. If we reverse engineer that, if you do nothing at all, you have so much free will that you have the ability to shut off your free will. That's how I, that's how I look at it. They look at it as like Sam Harris and all these other guys. They're all priests of the new religion. They all believe the human mind is not free. It's all predetermined. It's deterministic. You are controlled by antecedent forces that are outside of your control. Your genetics are a major factor. They will all argue that your genetics determine your reality. It's a deterministic worldview. That is one of the cornerstones of the philosophy of this new religion of transhumanism. And it's not new. We'll get to that. But the data is an encapsulation of human consciousness as they have pulled data from all over the internet, all over the world, different human beings, and pulled that into different archives, informational archives. And they are now building a template for artificial intelligence off of that. So they're controlling the data. The other aspect is they view the world, they view the universe as a massive supercomputer run by AI anyways. That's their replacement thought of the ancient religious paradigm of a of divine order, deity, God, God, spirit, Geist, Tao, Brahman, pick your name. They replace that with something artificial. They replace it with something artificial. See, those older paradigms were, in my opinion, more organic. Even for the atheists, even for the people that just think it was an accident of nature and we're all a product of nature, it was still an organic thing. Then we invent computers and data and tech, and now we're using the language that we've learned from it or have been taught, depending on how you look at it, to interpret reality through the lens of computer speak, of tech speak. And if you view the world as an artificially created reality, as a computer algorithm, as even a random accident where there is no spirit, there is no consciousness, there is no God, there is no free will, then you can understand how they get to their conclusions about why this transhumanist future is the future of humanity. It is the next evolutionary step. That's how they see it. And they need to control the data. What else did he say? Humans, with the advent of this transhumanist tech, is not just dividing into different types of people, different types of thinking, different groups. We're dividing into different species. So they're speaking about this in terms of a transition of the species into a new species. That's way different than your standing out the barbecue talking to your buddies about this stuff. And they're like, what do you got against technology? You're holding a phone right now. It's like, no, 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 no. It is. Technology is one thing. If humanity is in charge of it, if we're controlling it, 
if it's actually serving us. And it is an entirely different thing when technology is your God. And who created that technology? Who has the on and off switches? Who controls all of that? Who's controlling it right now? If you want an understanding of the world that they're trying to create, you're already living in it. And it's just going to keep growing. Where your speech is regulated, your movement is tracked and traced and regulated, especially if you're coming in out of Canada right now. Um, you're monitored and surveilled. If you listen to a little bit from chapter five of Cult of the Medics, which is going to be very good for this episode, uh, there's that bit I have with Dr. Carrie Midday. Uh, where she's breaking down what was told to her in private behind closed doors with all the internet signals shut off and the cell phone signal shut off to a bunch of scientists, experts, and entrepreneurs uh, about where they're taking the technology that's in your phone, where it's tracking your breathing rhythms, your heart rate rhythms, the, your speech patterns, your gait patterns. Where's all that data going? And then if you go and look into China and you see where they're already at with the biometrics, with the surveillance, with the digital, the social credit system, they want the whole world to be that. And that again is only the first foundation of where we're going to continue to go. So different species being created through technology. If this technology is man-made and made by a bunch of biotech companies, and they have the patents on all that technology that they are going to literally inject and implant into you and integrate into you by various means. And I'll let you speculate wildly about some of the means you think they might be using to accomplish that, but that's up to you. Uh, so by various means, they're going to integrate you physically and psychologically with this new technology. And yeah, if you're run by that and you've turned off your own innate intelligence, you will not have any free will. You will be directed and commanded and you will not deviate from what the authorities tell you to do and tell you how to think. So freedom goes out the window with this and he's actually saying it out loud. And who gets to be the ones that decide how this technology is being built, how it's going to operate, whether it's going to promote human freedom or not. And when they're actually publicly telling you we're creating a new species and the whole goal of this fourth industrial revolution is about who controls the data, which I would also include genetics in there. Wow. We are, uh, we are really dealing with some, something that I think is actually very, very dark. It's not so, it's not what you think it is on the surface. You got to read the fine print. Let's continue. There is a lot of talk these days about hacking computers and email accounts and bank accounts and mobile phones. But actually, we are gaining the ability to hack human beings. Very quick clip. I think that kind of just sums up what I was just saying. We talk about hacking computers and hacking this and hacking that. Wow. Now we're just talking about hacking human beings. What's the big deal? Look what technology has created. Is that sounding just like, oh, we're just going to augment humanity a little bit to improve your life. Well, you're going to hack us. 
and it, and made me think, is this the first time that the human genome was hacked? Is this the first time we've gone through this? Or is this a cycle thing that continues to, is this a continuing project of refining a species? And who would want to do that, right? Who, who could we trust to take care of that? We trust these people? I got trust issues. I don't know about you. Next. What do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power, and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. Not data about what I buy or where I go, but data about what is happening inside my body and inside my brain. Until today, nobody had the necessary computing power and the necessary data to hack humanity. Even if the Soviet KGB or the Spanish Inquisition followed you around everywhere, 24 hours a day, watching everything you do, listening to everything you say, still they didn't have the computing power and the biological knowledge necessary to make sense of what was happening inside your body and brain and to understand how you feel and what you think and what you want. But this is now changing because of two simultaneous revolutions. On the one hand, advances in computer science and especially the rise of machine learning and AI are giving us the necessary computing power. And at the same time, advances in biology and especially in brain science are giving us the necessary understanding, biological understanding. You can really summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. This is the big insight of the modern life sciences, that organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms. And we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. Now, when the two revolutions merge, when the infotech revolution merges with the biotech revolution, what you get is the ability to hack human beings. And maybe the most important invention for the merger of infotech and biotech is the biometric sensor that translates biochemical processes in the body and the brain into electronic signals that a computer can store and analyze. We're all just algorithms, guys. Did you get that? We're algorithms. Um, biochemical data is being collected and now we couldn't hack the human, human animal before, but now we can. And so this is a big, this is the new gold rush, biochemical data, genetic data. And what if that's the real currency? What if that's what this is really all about? When we talk about a battle of souls, if we were to get into more religious language for a minute, there's the old concept coming out of a lot of different religious traditions about the battle or your, over your soul. 
and everybody kind of has their, and he, he's, he doesn't believe in a soul apparently. Well, at least this is the public PR, right? On the surface, these people are saying there is no soul. It's just, you're an algorithm. So they're just using computer language that they created to describe reality, which I would argue is them superimposing an artificial archetypal reality on top of the real reality, which these guys don't even believe really exists. They believe all of it is just an, it's an illusion that is projected through a universal hologram run by an AI, AI supercomputer. That's the only way they can explain it because they come from the scientific paradigm and so many fields of science have been destroying the Darwinian paradigm inside and out for a long time. And they've gotten to a point where they can't hide this and sweep it under the rug anymore. Epigenetics, the science of consciousness, they can't get away. They keep having people like Rupert Sheldrake stand up or my God, I could sit here listing names of, of people, top level scientists coming out and going, uh, even philosophers, Alfred North Whitehead, I don't know if I'm related. I don't think so. British philosopher who came from the materialist paradigm that this gentleman comes from um, and switched camps in the end and started writing about the mystical unfolding of the divine creation. I don't know if that's the exact term he used, but it's something like that, where it's not mechanistic or deterministic at all. That there is, he started espousing more uh, mystical religious type concepts through a scientific lens. And they keep having these guys come and kick the door in and they didn't know how to shut it off. So now they're just creating a whole new, they're, they're creating a whole, what you're seeing here is that they've created a whole new script for their cult, the cult that grew up within the world of science, which was supposed to be standing outside of any cult or religious theological type of view and was supposed to be grounded completely in just observable facts. Scientia, the pursuit of knowledge. A cult grew up that looked at the world mechanically because we started building mechanical things. So it, it makes sense that the human mind would start to compare and go, and we, we make relations to, we make, um, we create metaphor in all of our speech. Everything we talk about is metaphor. It's kind of like when the Christ said in the Bible, I only speak in parable. Never do I speak except in parable, in metaphor. All humans speak in metaphor. I'm, I'm relating. Yeah, it's like this. It's like that. It's like this. Like. So if they've created a metaphor of an artificially constructed reality that they want to alter from its natural state and become gods, as they say, become the gods of the ancient times in modern times. then they are, in my opinion, creating a script to superimpose on top of that so that they can justify what they're doing. At least that's one way of thinking it, okay? Um, I'm just going to do the last clip of him. There's a few more, but I don't want to belabor it and we're running out of time. So let me, uh, let me just play this last one quick. we have algorithms that can understand me better than I understand myself. They could predict my desires, manipulate my emotions, and even take decisions on my behalf. And if we are not careful, the outcome might be 
the rise of digital dictatorships. In the 20th century, democracy generally outperformed dictatorship because democracy was better at processing data and making decisions. We are used to thinking about democracy and dictatorship in ethical or political terms. But actually, these are two different methods to process information. Democracy processes information in a distributed way. It distributes the information and the power to make decisions between many institutions and individuals. Dictatorship, on the other hand, concentrates all the information and power in one place. Now, given the technological conditions of the 20th century, distributed data processing worked better than centralized data processing, which is one of the main reasons why democracy outperformed dictatorship and why, for example, the US economy outperformed the Soviet economy. But this is true only under the unique technological conditions of the 20th century. In the 21st century, new technological revolutions, especially AI and machine learning, might swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. They might make centralized data processing far more efficient than distributed data processing. And if democracy cannot adapt to these new conditions, then humans will come to live under the rule of digital dictatorships. So there's the sales pitch for the, di the, digital, the digital dictatorship, the global technocracy run by technocrats, unelected bureaucrats. Because someone's got to manage this whole enterprise. You can't just unleash this level of technology into the world without some kind of human management programming to go along with it. So someone has to be at the helm of this new digital dictatorship. And he's talking about the history of democracy. You know, you got to sound like an intellectual history of democracy. It had its day. It used to outcompete these dictatorships of the past because of blah, blah, blah. But now with all of these things that I just broke down to you, he's saying humanity could become ruled by a digital dictatorship if democracy can't evolve with the technology. And when you see through the pandemic, through all these other things, and increasing more, increasingly these governments are becoming more dictatorial. Have you noticed this? Am I just talking out of my ass here? That they're not just putting out theories. I mean, he did do this in 2018. So it was pre-pandemic. This was the laying out of the, of the philosophy. Here we are now, 2022. Is anything that he's talking about jumping out at you as being something very relevant that's happening right now? That we're on the track. It's not that it could become a, di a digital dictatorship. It's that it is. Starting with the censoring of free speech on the internet, fact-checking websites, shadow banning, troll bot and fake account farms. Someone's guiding this. This isn't just an organic thing happening at a certain time in human evolution. 
That's not how I see it at all. So let's get a little bit of uh, alternative perspective to Mr. Harari. And we're going to uh, read a little snippet from a great article that was written by my good friend, Alex Newman. He's a great journalist, writes for the New American Magazine, and I think he has his own publications now. Um, and his article is entitled Great Reset, Transhumanism, Merging Man and Machine. Um, Alex comes from the, a, a Christian perspective, but I love his and I love his perspective on this because we definitely agree that this is something unnatural, unorganic, and it's anti-human, and we need to fight it with everything we've got. So that's his perspective. So let's read a little bit from him. He says, Klaus Schwab even wrote a book on this whole subject in 2016 entitled Shaping the Future of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. In it, the globalist schemer explains how looming technological changes will allow governments to intrude into the hitherto private spaces of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. And Harari was talking about that as well, the influencing of human behavior. This brings up the whole, all those MK Ultra experiments and all those Milgram experiments to try to find out what's the most effective way to manage the human farm and to influence humans to operate against their will and do our bidding. These are direct quotes from these experiments. Okay, so it's starting to really remind me of that. Continuing, fourth industrial revolution technologies will not stop at becoming part of the physical world around us. They will become part of us, Schwab said. Indeed, some of us already feel that our smartphones have become an extension of ourselves. Today's external devices, from wearable computers to virtual reality headsets, will almost certainly become implantable in our bodies and our brains. This is coming right out with it. All those science fiction films that you grew up watching weren't fiction. They were prediction. I got more on that coming. Among those technologies are active implantable microchips that break the skin barrier of our bodies, Schwab explained. These implantable devices, and God knows how we're going to get those into you, Schwab continued, will likely also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone and potentially unexpressed thoughts or moods by, reaching, by reading brainwaves and other signals. Even more creepy, Alex is saying here, perhaps is that Schwab suggested these technologies would be used by governments to determine who may travel and even for pre-crime purposes. As capabilities in this area improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase, Schwab explained, adding that authorities might require, quote, a detailed brain scan to assess an individual's security risk. This is the kind of stuff that's already being built into China and into our world right now. What do you think these social media platforms and all the online surveillance really is? What do you think the pandemic really was? This was my argument in chapter eight of Cult of the Medics, was that this pandemic was the largest intelligence gathering, data gathering event in human history, in known human history, because again, I'm arguing this wasn't the first time this kind of thing has happened. Continuing, in a post on the WEF website by Danish parliamentarian Ida Alken, the direction and goals of this transhumanism become more clear. Quote, welcome to the year 2020. Oh, sorry. Welcome to the year 2030. Alken writes, I don't own anything, including a home, and I have no real privacy. 
Nowhere I can go and not be registered. I know that somewhere everything I do, think, and dream of is recorded. But her biggest concern is those who refuse to participate, he says. So they want this world. They want to be surveilled. They want to be seen. Every microorganism of their body is being recorded. Every movement they make, every thought they think, every dream they have. These people feel at home in this kind of world. And people make fun of me for the stuff I talk about. <laughs> she says, my biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, Aachen explains, noting that some stubborn individuals refused to merge with machines. Quote, those we lost on the way, those who decided that it became too much, all this technology, those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs, those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. Why are they going after the farmers? Why are they going after the farmers, guys? And then why are they really going after the farmers? What do the farmers have to say about it? If you talk to the average Dutch farmer today, or a lot of the farmers in Canada, of which there are a lot of them getting ready to mobilize um, about what's going on here, they're telling you that this, to them, is an acquisition of land by the government and by these private corporations. Because they live where? They don't live in the smart cities. Farmers live in the rural communities. And if you know anything about Agenda 21, 2030, which I know is talked about a lot, but I hope people will actually go read what it actually says right on their own website in black and white. And if you want a good breakdown of it, go check out Rosa Corey's book, Behind the Green Mask. She breaks it all down. May she rest in peace. Um, the whole point was to kick humanity off the rural land, enclose them in smart cities, and create this global resource management system run by AI. <laughs> How much more science fiction do you need to get before we actually go science fiction? Okay. And then let's see what fiction is and what it's not. So I've got a lot of different things we can bring in. We're already an hour in. This is going to go for a bit, guys. You can watch this in parts if you want. Um, if I zoom out and I think about this and I see the actions of these people, these institutions and these organizations versus just what they're saying, we've already heard what they're saying and that's already bad enough. If you think what they're saying is bad, look at the actions. That's even worse. Start looking at some of these freaky experiments that have been going on in DARPA and all over these clandestine operations all over the place for a long time, maybe longer than we know. And we saw what went down with the curtailing of freedom. I think the whole, let me just break it down real quick for you. Really simple. This might piss off some normie people, but we're here. Let's just talk about it. I think if you look at what went down with the pandemic, planned or just an opportunity, like Christia Freeland said, a political opportunity, either way, it was a training program for this the new world, the great reset, the transhumanist utopia that they talk about, which is really, in my opinion, a dystopia because it's the end of humanity, the starting of a new type of cybernetic being. 
if you zoom it all out and you collect all the information right now, before I go through these next slides that I've been presenting on this show and many other amazing people are out there presenting about, and they all have the kind of the different takes, but we're all in agreement. There's something very nefarious and evil and dark and anti-human and anti-planet earth going on. We don't always know what it is. We sometimes argue about the details, but we can all agree, at least most of us that aren't listening to the fake news every day and are actually researching this and thinking deeply about it and observing what's going on and listening to statements like this and taking the time that it's going to take for me to get through this podcast to show you this. We're going to come up to the, we're, we're not trusting these people. We have questions. We have serious questions about this at the minimum. How many people are we seeing suffering from the, just the side effects of these jabs that are being forced on people and people go, Oh, I don't like the word force. You always had a choice. No. Okay. Coercion. Then you like that? Here's the legal definition of coercion. You pull that out. People were coerced illegally into taking an experimental new technology that is going to possibly fundamentally change your MRNA, your DNA, your genetics. It's going to implant technology into your body. And not all technology is a bunch of computer chips, guys. Organic, synthetic, biological technology. Another way of looking at it, genetically modified organisms. How many ingredients in these shots and in your food and in the water and in the air are not organic, meaning not a part of the original natural order that humanity grew up in and was developed in and now we're changing all of that. Someone is changing the water in the fish tank to alter the fish, to prepare them for this new world. Who would do this? And who would do it and also openly say, we want to depopulate the bulk of humanity. Another quote from people like Harari, he won't come out, I don't think, I don't know if I've got clips of him saying, we got to wipe out 90% of humanity like Ted Turner came out and said, uh, but he'll say stuff like, um, 90% of humans, we just, they're obsolete. We don't need them anymore. He speaks in computer technology. Like we got to phase out that old technology. They refer to human beings as technology. We're going to phase out the old tech and bring in the new tech. It's like Jurassic Park globally. What was the name of the new Jurassic Park film again? I think its name was Jurassic Park World Dominion. <laughs> I got to do a whole series just looking at the esoteric uh, stuff behind Jurassic Park one day. We'll plan it. Um, yeah. So zooming all, the, all this information I presented to you of real criminal conspiracies at the highest levels that go all the way back into history that have been whistleblown by very elite people working there, whistleblown, not just some guy on the street, top level, journalists, professors, royalty, members of secret societies, detectives and investigators, government officials. We could go on and on about talking about a nefarious agenda that if they ever, just like George Bush Sr. once said, if the American people, and let's just forget just because he's speaking as an American president at the time, let's zoom out to the whole world. If the people of the world found out what we were really doing, we would be hauled out and lynched in the streets. So they're working on something that you wouldn't support if you knew about what was really going on. If you read the fine print, 
and you understood past the language that they tell you to keep you asleep from what's going on, if you, if you pull the curtain back, you would be horrified. Think of all the information I presented on cults. Think of all the information I presented on the, the dark side of the medical industry and all of that. We're going to get into more of that. I take a, I don't think this is benevolent. Okay. And if it's not benevolent and it's evil and it's anti-human and there's a deep, dark agenda afoot. And they're just going to call you conspiracy theory for even speculating on this, but let's speculate. If there's something very evil, deep, dark, and nefarious going on behind all of this shit, in my opinion, there's only three basic explanations as to who is doing this. And I'll let you take it for what you think it's worth. Three basic explanations, in my opinion. There's probably more, but I'm just boiling them into three. Make it easy. Number one, most people will be very, very happy. I would say probably... 80 to 90% of you listening would be very happy to conclude this one. This one is also the one I would recommend. If you're ever talking to people about this, you stick with this. Don't go off into the world, into the fringe. Okay. Because we just need people to understand what's going on. Okay. And you can interpret it how you want. Remember, we don't get access to the top level of information. I should have pulled up that Anthony Sutton uh, quote where he had he talked about the three stages of information. The vast majority of the general public is on stage one. There's a select amount of elites and uh, intellectuals that are have access to stage two of information. And there's a very, very, very small percent of people that have access to level three of information. Okay. So whoever's really running this, one could be interpreted as a bunch of psychopathic control freaks, people who are megalomaniacal control freaks. They, um, we can get into their psychology. We can analyze that the, the motivations as to why we're talking just human beings, intraspecies predators, people that want power, money, and control. And that's all they care about. They want to lay claim to the thrones of the earth. They want to lay claim to the resources of the planet. And they consider humans a resource. They consider themselves the farmers of the farm animals on the planet. And they look at it as we have to rule the planet and we get to reap the benefits. We only want our bloodlines to survive. We're going to wipe out the undesirables. We're going to wipe out those who would resist us. And the remaining, we will program them with technology that we create. If that's true, then we're on level one, bunch of psychopaths, bunch of dictatorial, you know, people but we're still dealing on the human level. Okay. Most people will be like, just a bankster, some criminals, some mafia guys, some elites, old farts that just hate humanity and they want more room so they can take over the land or whatever. They're just, they're, they're sick of being stuck in traffic. I don't know. Whatever your, your explanation is as to why, you know, that's most people that are going to go to this level. But then there's the second level you can uh, kick it up a notch and speculate here. Are we dealing with something? Because of how anti-human this is, when you really zoom out and take it all in, are we dealing with something not human? Is it actual demonic beings like demons and jinn and all these creatures we've been told about that are spiritual in nature from religion? Is that what it is? That they're influencing these corpses rocking, walking around in bodysuits 
we got a bunch of walk-ins where you ever hear of walk-ins where it's like a soul comes in and takes over the body. They have actually, uh, they understand the science of the soul and they can, they can switch out consciousness, which is what they're actually saying they want to do and implant your consciousness in computers and all this. Right. But maybe in the, in the old medieval way of thinking about it, it's these demonic entities. Is it some kind of archonic spiritual being? So archons, almost like a, a mental parasite. If you read out of the Nag Hammadi and you get into sort of the, some of the Gnostic writings on this, and there are many other writings on it as well, the idea that there is some kind of mind parasite or consciousness parasite that takes hold of certain humans in the way that bacteria and all that can rise up in the physical body. The same thing can happen to your consciousness on a spiritual other interdimensional level that maybe we don't even understand. And we're dealing with a sort of parasitical kind of consciousness. So what is it? Spiritual, parasitical consciousness, other dimensional, right? Could be. Why not? We only see a certain amount of reality. We've heard all the stories. I was just talking to some people around a campfire about some ghost stories the other night. A lot of people, you know, think there's something going on. They've had some pretty crazy experiences. I've had my experiences. I'm sure you've had yours. Are we dealing with something else here? Or, or, and could be a bit of everything here. We could have all three at, at play, but another explanation could be, are we talking about a technocratic? These people have this whole new word technocratic. I'm going to do a show just on this. I actually got some good guests lined up to cover what the technocracy is that we keep hearing about, what it specifically is, because it relates to this. But are we dealing with possibly if we accept the fact that we're not alone in this universe? And just as there are other human beings on different parts of the planet that live in different countries and come from different cultures and backgrounds, and that periodically we get into different conflicts and, uh, you know, everybody has their agenda to become the dominant religion in the world or the dominant paradigm or the dominant culture. You even got the CC party of China saying, we want to dominate this planet. We want to take it all over. We want the farmland. We want everybody to be Chinese. Like they have this view, right? They're, then they're not the only ones. Every race on the planet, every there's been periods of history where one group has tried to suppress others and infiltrate or invade or colonize or uh, enslave different cultures. That's just what's happening on our own planet with what we call humans from different on different teams, different cultures. Speculation time. If we look up at the stars at night and we recognize that we're not the only thing in the universe. Is it really that far out to think, well, there's people from other countries that might invade my country to take it over. What if there are people from different physical planets? Just why, why is that so crazy to just speculate about? Why is that the one thing? Most people are comfortable with this. They're more comfortable with this and they're more comfortable with this. The one that gets the most flack and the most ridicule and the most dismissal is this. Technocratic, scientific peoples, races, groups, beings that are simply not from here. Who might not have the same level of empathy for this planet, the nature on it, or the human beings living on it. Just something to think about. Those are my three basic explanations of the evil side of all of this. Because we got to explain it. We're dealing with evil humans. 
evil demonic forces or evil people from that aren't from here, a scientific race that's not from here, that possibly came here a long time ago and maybe did a little bit of tinkering in the same way that we would do some tinkering, in the same way we have done tinkering to the life on this planet. Just as the British Empire will go around colonizing different places or the French or whoever or any, you know, think about it. Uh, someone else just, there's land and territory with life on it. There's a planet that has resources, including DNA and genetics. It's not so far out when you really think about it. I'm just, we got to start thinking about what's really at the top. That's all. Okay. I'll leave you to what you think it is. Now we're going to get into first the sort of religious I would say, well, if we look at Thomas Horn, everybody's heard of Thomas Horn's work. Uh, recommend just checking out his videos, check out his books. He's been writing on this stuff for a long time. Comes from a Christian perspective, albeit a, um, he's even kind of, he's different from even the average church do doctrine, right? Like these are sort of out of the box Christian thinkers. And uh, he gets into the Apocrypha, which most Christians don't even touch. He gets into, he looks and compares other ancient scrolls and scriptures, which a lot of people in a fundamentalist mentality don't do. And I think it's valuable to do it, even if you come from that strict paradigm. Okay. And so he's a well-known radio personality and CEO of RaidersNewsNetwork.com and SurvivalMall.com. Over the last decade, he's authored several books and dozens of published articles. His works have been referred by writers referred to by writers of the LA Times Syndicate, MSNBC, Christianity Today, World Net Daily, White House Correspondents, and dozens of other magazines and press agencies around the globe. Um, and his latest book, The Araman Gate, fictionalizes biotechnology used to resurrect biblical Nephilim. Little bit of interesting language there. But let's, uh, let me see, let me come back to you. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to go through the slides I have on him and then we'll do the video clip because I want you to hear it from himself. So we're just exploring options here, okay? We'll start with, uh, with, with the way he looks at it. So he goes back, many others have, into the study of the Old Testament. And I think that this book and that these ancient scriptures have been grossly mistranslated, misunderstood, repackaged for the masses, but there's a truth to them. And I think in many cases, People that are uh, more religious-minded haven't taken them literally enough. Those that would say, I take it literally. Well, have you? Let's, how, how literal are we talking? Depends on, because when we get into refining the terms and the words themselves and the actual translations, and we compare and contrast to other texts, what happens, right? So he says this, in the study of the Old Testament book of Genesis, beings of great stature called giants appear which some scholars believe came into existence after powerful angels known as watchers descended to earth. And you got watchers, that's from the book of Enoch. You won't find, I don't think you'll get that term in the King James. Uh, they descended to earth and used women or their biological matter, because this could have been done on a genetic level, to construct bodies of flesh, which they used to extend themselves into the material world. And you'll honestly find this motif in a lot of different ancient cultures. It didn't get invented by the Jews or the Christians. It came before, and then they also picked it up. So there's got to be something to it, all right? We can split hairs, but I'm saying there's something to it all. The apocryphal books of Enoch, Esdras, Genesis, Apocryphon, Jasher, I could even add Jubilees and uh, all these others as well, support the Genesis stories, adding that the sin of these angels 
grew to include genetic modification of animals as well as humans. And we are, of course, genetically modifying animals and humans today. The book of Jasher, mentioned in the Bible in Joshua 10.13 and 2 Samuel 1.18 says, quote, After the fallen angels went into the daughters of men, the sons of men taught the mixture of animals of one species with another in order to provoke the Lord. This is ancient text, guys, talking about mixing animals with other species. How do they even comprehend that as a possibility? Unless they maybe had a, a knowledge at one time of genetics in the ancient past that no modern scientist would admit today. But they are it's all over this literature. You can even get into the Indian Vedas to get texts like this as well. Ancient scriptures. Or the Popol Vuh, right? So this clear reference to the Genesis 6 record illustrates that animals were included in whatever cross-species experiments were being conducted and that this activity resulted in judgment from God. The Book of Enoch also supports this record, saying that after the fallen angels merged their DNA with women, they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish. The Old Testament contains associated reference to genetic mutations, which developed among humans following this activity, including unusual size, physical strength, six fingers, six toes, animal appetite for blood, and even lion-like features among men. Look, I'm reading from 2 Samuel there. So Horn is saying, what if by corrupting the species barrier in which each creature was to recreate after its own kind, these watchers or these, whatever these guys are, had successfully mingled human animal DNA and combine the hereditary traits of different species into a new single mutation. An entirely new being, Nephilim, might have suddenly possessed the combined intelligence and instincts, seeing, hearing, smelling, reacting to the environment, of several life forms and in ways unfamiliar to creation. So it's just interesting to me that we're hearing this discussion now about altering humanity using all this technology, the AI, the cybernetics, right? Nanotech, creating a new species, creating an evolutionary leap for humanity, human 2.0, right? That, that discussion happening now, it happened in these ancient scriptures. That's all I'm trying to show you. You don't have to take it all literally. You don't have to believe any of it. Just look at it. It's interesting, interesting. Because it could very well be that none of this stuff is true. There's no aliens. There's no other people from other planets. There's no other dimensional forces happening. There's no spiritual demons or archons at work here. This is all just human stuff. And that they, the people at the top maybe believe this and believe themselves to be the new fallen angels, the new Nephilim, the new gods. You could go with that if you're uncomfortable taking it for real, right? Totally. But it's fascinating. So he continues. Today, molecular biologists classify the functions of genes within native species, but are unsure in many cases how a gene's coding might react from one species to another. In recombinant DNA technology, a transgenic organism is created when the genetic structure of one species is altered by the transfer of a gene or genes from another. This could change not only the genetic structure of the modified animal and its offspring, but pay attention to this, guys, but it could change its evolutionary, develop, evolutionary development 
sensory modalities, disease propensity, personality, and behavioral traits, among other things. So we're altering it already. We are the aliens on the planet manipulating the natural order and creating these chimeric creatures and DNA codes and genetically modified organisms. Where did we get that from? Where did we learn that from? Why would a species do that to itself? Why would a species create its own obsolescence? That's, a, that's an important point to ponder. He continues, such, trans, such transgenic tinkering already exists in many parts of the world, including the United States, Britain, and Australia, where several animal eggs are being used to create hybrid human embryos from which stem cell lines can be produced for medical research. There's your cult of the medics there. They want to know all this stuff so they can bring in their transhumanism. A team at Newcastle and Durham universities in the UK recently announced plans to, quote, create hybrid rabbit and human embryos, as well as other chimera embryos mixing human and cow genes. More alarmingly, the same researchers have already managed to reanimate tissue from dead human cells in another breakthrough which was heralded as a way of overcoming ethical dilemmas over using living embryos for medical research. I mean, they're putting aborted fetal tissues in vaccines, in drugs. You get into the business of blood where they're literally farming human blood and selling it to pharmaceutical companies from all the blood donations so that they can continue to create drugs of which they profit from. Literal human farming happens right now. Creating chimeric hybrids happens right now. And this is just what's known. What about the classified experiments? In the United States, similar studies led by Irv Wiseman, director of Stanford University's Institute of Cancer Stem Cell Biology and Medicine in California, to create mice with partly human brains. Like, what the hell? Causing some ethicists to raise the issue of humanized animals in the future that could become self-aware as a result of genetic modification. Even the President of the United States, George W. Bush, in his January 31st, 2006 State of the Union address called for legislation to prohibit creating human-animal hybrids and buying, selling, or patenting human embryos. But that's all just theater, of course. But still, isn't it interesting that we're doing this? And this article is written in like the 90s, okay? Just so you know, this wasn't written recently. This is from the 90s. Where do you think it's come since he wrote this? The relationship between creatures, so getting back to the biblical texts and these scriptures and these apocryphal, what they're saying, okay? And you can think of it in mythological terms. You can think of it as mythological language used to describe what the people at the time were seeing, and they didn't understand it. They didn't have a reference point for it, so they crafted mythologies around it, crafted these crazy out-of-the-box scenarios or these crazy scenarios that are hard for us to digest but they were really just interpreting what they were seeing through the lens of what knowledge they had at the time. Okay. So he's saying the relationship between creatures called Raphaim and the Nephilim of ancient texts is quite enlightening as the Raphaim are viewed as the spirits of dead Nephilim in the grave. The word Raphaim carries with it the meaning quote, to heal or to be healed as in a resurrection. In the, in the Ras Shamra texts, the Raphaim are described as both human and divine beings who worshipped the Amorite god Baal, the ruler of the underworld, where the Raphaim served as his acolyte assembly of lesser gods, kings, heroes, and rulers. 
These beings were believed to have power to return from the dead through incarnation in bodily form as Nephilim. The ability of Raphaim to be reincarnated in this way as living Nephilim is viewed by some as the explanation for Nephilim existing before and after the Great Flood. And the Great Flood, you can get that whole story in the Sumerian tablets as well. And uh, you could look at it also as great cataclysms that have happened. There were floods, there were meteor strikes, asteroids, um, war, famine, disease, all kinds of stuff, right? But the Great Flood is... You can find that story in a lot of traditions around the world, which is really interesting. The book of Job may elucidate this idea when it says, quote, dead things are formed under the waters. Actually, as I was reading that, it reminded me, I just recently watched Lord of the Rings with my daughter. She loved it. And uh, I think Tolkien put a lot of truths in this, quote, mythological tale. Um, and there's, it's in the two towers where they're walking through the bog to get across to it. They didn't want to go all the way around to try to keep making their way to Mordor. They, they go through the bog and as they're walking, there's dead faces. There's dead, dead people that were left from an ancient war that were sort of partially reserved under the surface of the water. And Gollum tells Frodo and Sam, don't look into their eyes. Don't look into the light. Don't look into the water. They will pull you into the depths. It's just another motif of this statement from Job in the Bible. Interesting. Now, if we go to Michael Tessarian's book, which is what really got me kicked off years ago into even looking into any of this stuff. And of course, you can find all the work that I do with him. Uh, he's a rare mind, a, a rare collector. This is why I promote him so much. Is It's not just about him. It's about promoting the fantastic way that he has brought people to our attention that we didn't even know existed and ideas and concepts, right? And in the book, Atlantis Alien Visitation, he lists the names for these beings, Watchers, Nephilim, Raphaim, in, there's a bunch of names that come from all over the world, which is really interesting that everybody told the same campfire story. He says, many names have come down to us describing the visitors from ancient texts all over the world. They include Anunnaki or Anage, Anakim, also the Anakites, Anna, Anu, sons of Anna, the Raphaim, the fallen angels, the watchers, or quote, those who sleep not, the Agigi, the serpent race, the Amaraka, the Nagas, the Rakshahas, the Jinn, the Jedi, Gregory, the Titans, the Els or Illies, the Prometheans, the Olympians, there's your Greek pantheon, go check out, uh, and the, the, your Club of Rome, Committee of 300, actually believe themselves to be Olympians. And the Olympians were the demigods, half God, half human, that were talked about in Greek history, right? The Asuras, the Dragon Kings, the Rayless Ones. And this is just these. If you get into also the Asian, like going to J Japanese history, Chinese, it's all there, the dragon races, right? So fascinating. Here's a couple little tidbits from, because this book, just so you know, is just a compendium of, it's basically an encyclopedia. It's an encyclopedia mixed in with some of Michael's ideas on all this stuff, but you get so many sources. That's why I reference it a lot. So you can get the sources, go read the sources yourselves, and it's fascinating. And so he says, in The Coming Race, the book, The Coming Race, Edward Bulwar Lytton speaks of advanced beings inhabiting caverns beneath the earth's surface. He refers to these beings as the Anna 
saying that they were forced underground due to a flood that destroyed their civilization thousands of years before the biblical cataclysm. The Hopi Indians speak of an underground world called Sipapuni, where their tribe actually originated. So they believe they originated underground. Interestingly, G. Warren Schufelt discovered underground tunnels beneath Los Angeles, which the Hopi believed were inhabited by a lizard race over 5,000 years ago. There were even some Los Angeles Times articles on this back in the early 2000s. In his book, Agartha, Robert E. Dickoff recounts the story of a Tibetan monk who learned that a secret alliance between reptilians and human sorcerers was responsible for causing chaos among Earth's surface societies. Apparently, the subterranean evildoers projected bioengenetically, sorry, bioenergetically disturbing frequencies into the minds of human beings. Who else is projecting bioenergetically disturbing frequencies into the minds of us humans right now? <laughs> is it the same, same stuff with same people? Uh, Robert Dickoff wrote that the monk led 400 warrior monks into the caverns to do battle with a serpent cult. <laughs> wow, eh? Interesting stuff. And then we'll do a little bit here from, actually, uh, I'm gonna come back to this. I'm gonna come back to this. We'll pause there, and I wanna pull up the clip of uh, Dr. Horn, because this one is really interesting. I just have to, pull this up in a different way. So give me one sec. Here it is. Uh, why didn't it do it? Hold on. Oh, there it is. Cool. All right, here we go. Well, I'll tell you what truly motivated me in this was I, and we can talk about this if you want to. I started doing some research into some emerging fields of science, transgenics, biotechnology, um, but I actually was looking for scientific models mm -hmm. that might tell us where this technology would lead us. The blending of humans and animals, the, create, the creating of modern chimeras. Yes. You know, what might the, from a scientific point of view, what might the benefits to humanity be? Interrupting a chimera, uh, the, the idea of linking uh, two different animals together into a single unit, such as the old gods of Egypt, uh, a man's body and the head of a jackal, a right. chimera. Well, uh, the scientific community is proud of this mouth with a human ear growing on its back, you know. <laughs> yes. We can make human ears and put ears back on people. This is this is basically what we're talking about, isn't it? Transgenics. Well, the, uh, yeah, yes, certainly that was one of the early um, experiments that was being done. Now it's much more sophisticated than that. It's grown over the last 10 years in phenomenal ways. Mm -hmm. But what I could not find were models because the, the science was emerging so quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like riding the bicycle while, while you build it. I mean, they were, they were doing the research before they even knew what the ramifications of it might be, still are. Mm -hmm. uh, genetically modified crops are already showing us that they might impact the environment in ways we're not prepared for, but it's not stopping us or corporations from patenting seeds and, and putting out various kinds of, of crops. Some crops now that are part animal, crops that have okay. fish genetics yeah, in them and things tomatoes. like that. That's, yeah, that's, you're talking opening Pandora's box here, aren't you? Well, potentially we are. And, this, and this is where it went back into history. Mm -hmm was that this Pandora's box had been opened once before because while I couldn't find 
models that would say where this may take us, either positively or negatively, we ran into this old story. And we started finding it in cultures around the world about the gods who had come down. And this was told in Greece, it was told in Samaria. Uh, there's references to what we believe connects to this in the book of Genesis. There were also other uh, extra-biblical or pseudepigrapha books, but some of which are referenced in the Bible, that told this story of these super-intelligences who came down, but one of the things that they did. And it seemed that it, it, it was required of them to blend the DNA of different species for some purpose that seems to relate to allowing them to incarnate themselves. Uh, the story in Greece, Zeus mm -hmm. comes down, he marries a woman, or somehow he shares with her DNA, and Hercules, a mighty man of old, the, the story is told uh, that, that there was this need to blend between yes. humans and animals. Of course, in Genesis, mm -hmm. the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them wives of all which they would, and after that... So these stories from Greek mythology of a man <coughs> who's from the waist down is a horse, or of Pan, who was a man from the waist down was a goat, this is the kind of thing you're talking about here. This, this was what I kept running into. That, and, and the story that was told, the moral story that was told, was this led to chaos. And it seemed in some cases to almost be like a crude record. In other words, people back then trying to illustrate what had happened. So maybe it's half goat, half man. But the deeper message is there was a blending, mm -hmm. a crossing over of the species. And as a Christian, and as a former pastor, um, I had an interest in this because I've always believed that there was a divine order and that God spoke all creation and then breathed into the nostrils of Adam. He gave all these different creations the ability to procreate after themselves, but he ordered that each would recreate after its own kind. Mm. So that naturally, uh, a donkey cannot breed with a dog, yes. but scientifically we're doing it now. And it appeared to me when I started looking at this trail that the that ancient intelligences had done the same. I just find that very fascinating. These were the guys that brought the ancient perspective to my mind where we weren't just studying what was going on in our current time. We were starting to go, Hey, there's stuff all throughout the ancient world that talks about the same thing. Maybe we just, got it wrong. Maybe we misinterpreted it. Maybe a lot of the understandings that we had of these ancient texts and this ancient knowledge came from the very priest class that were entrusted and in charge to hide this and then give us only little shards of it to appease us and help keep us, you know, warm at night and whatever, keep us from revolting against them. But we never got the whole story. And Man, so many things he brings up there. Just the fact that we are creating chimeric beings now. Uh, and you got to start asking yourself, why would we do it? Where did we learn it? And now we are the lab rat. We are in a global lab rat experiment right now. And we have been for a long time. And your government and governments all around the world have been experimenting on their own citizens without their knowledge for decades. And I would argue that this experimentation, this genetic modification and tinkering goes all the way back to ancient times. And we'll keep bearing that out as a theory. And you, I'll leave you with it to make up your own mind about it. But let's quickly look at something that I also brought up in chapter five. This was a really cool part where we go into um, the idea of alchemical 
of the alchemically modified man. And there's a really good book that I referenced called Transhumanism. It's very good to read with this show, okay? Transhumanism, A Grimoire of Alchemical Agendas by Scott DeHart and Joseph P. Farrell. I'm trying to get Joseph Farrell on a show um, coming up. I've interviewed him in the past, but it's been a while, and I'd like to catch up with him on this. But let's just read from the book, okay? Was it possible, they say, that the whole agenda of modern science was from top to bottom an alchemical agenda for the complete transformation of mankind? What a statement that is. I think it's from the introduction of the book. Alchemy. Think alchemy. That was the progenitor of what we call science. Right? And there was a physical alchemy. And there was a spiritual alchemy. But there has always been these elite scientists and alchemists serving the kings, queens, monarchs, and priests and all that, that started to understand that they could tinker with humanity to make it a better slave species, to achieve what is written as the manual and the mandate of MKUltra, which is to make humans do our bidding against their own will if we tell them to, right? So what if there, as he was saying, as we got into this transhumanism research and we looked at the science, we looked at what was going on in modern time, we compared it to all this ancient stuff, this was the question, was it possible that the whole agenda of modern science, not every scientist, but the, the steering committees at the top, the, the, the high table, okay, the people you don't see. What if their agenda was from top to bottom an alchemical agenda for the complete transformation of mankind? Was all of this genetically modified food for, intended for the alchemically modified man? Or was that part of the process of alchemically modifying man to begin with? Ascending from there to the mineral man, again, we wondered, and they're using uh, just, you know, the mineral man. These are terms that come out of alchemy, okay? So ascending from there to the mineral man, again, we wondered why were there so many within the transhumanist movement seeming to speak through all their modern verbal coinage, nothing but the language of ancient lore and alchemy. So they brought my attention to the fact that the, the language of modern science is not modern. It's just been modernized, but it's the same script. Once again, there seemed to be an agenda that was nothing less quest for an androgynous fusion of man and machine of man and the mineral. And this is an interesting statement because it makes me think about all this push for the gender fluidity, transgender, reassignment surgery movement, influencing children, puberty blockers. Boys can be men, or boys can be women, girls, and girls can be boys, on and on. We can, we can be whatever we want. You can be a cat if you want to. Androgynous fusion. If androgynous fusion is the goal, then the transgender, this isn't anything against transgender people, but the politicization of the transgender movement as a political social agenda is the way to kick the door open for the transhumanist movement. They want androgynous fusion. Androgyny used to be understood as a psycho-spiritual concept, a psychological or spiritual concept. You have a masculine and feminine brain, a man or woman. You have an anima and an animus, according to Jung. You have, so the fusion is the fusion of consciousness so that you can see holistically and correctly. 
instead of just one narrow lens of only one season. You look at it holistically. That's real alchemy. This is the dark alchemy, physical fusion with man and machine and the elimination of the differences biologically between human beings. Continuing, those were my comments. Let's continue their comments. This brought us to a consideration of the most disconcerting image of them all, androgyny itself, which more often than not stood for a fusion of many sorts of paired principles that seemed at first unrelated to the concept of androgyny in its most basic sense. It stood, in other words, precisely for that fusion of the human and the animal, of the human and the vegetable, of the human and the mineral, as it stood also for the fusion or union of the masculine and the feminine, of the male and the female. So they're just saying what I was just breaking down in much more eloquent language. Um, I'm saying they use better language. I'm kind of butchering it, but I hope you get the point. We realized that we needed a whole new vocabulary even to be able to discuss the alchemical connections and roots of all these things. Alchemical men, they, they use that word, to designate the transformation of mankind into the chimerical creature via the techniques of science. Alchemo-vegetable man, to discuss the fusions of man and plant, again, via the techniques of science. Alco mineral man to designate the chemical, the alchemical fusion of man machine. Again, because mineral, right? Silicon, it's a mineral, right? Silicon Valley, that's where they make all the computer chips. They want you to become a computer chip. So that, that's good. Alco mineral man. Um, and again, by the techniques of applied science, for in each case, science is functioning as nothing but an extension of alchemy itself a technique for the transformation of mankind, which is, of course, a primary goal of alchemy and its modern equivalent, transhumanism. For us, the term transhumanism really serves only to mask what is a very old and explicitly alchemical, apocalyptic agenda. In short, while the techniques of science may be more refined than those of the, quote, pseudoscience of alchemy, the goals remained essentially and existentially the same. So I brought this up. I can't remember what I have. That's the end of the slides. Good. All right. We're already there. Perfect. Perfect timing. I brought this up because if I'm talking about ancient transhumanism, I have to show you that through the ancient mythologies and ancient scriptures. And I have to show you through modern science um, that we're doing it already. So what's to say that this wasn't something that started in the ancient past? And we'll get to how that's possible. And that ultimately it's the same cult that operated in ancient times that's just updated itself and is essentially following the same script, the same religious paradigm. If you believe in that paradigm that they've laid out and they're not saying they, but they're just studying it. They're saying this is the mindset of the people running this transhumanist agenda at the top. Um, if they believe that that's their worldview, then they're going to operate based off that worldview. It only makes sense. And if these are the people that have all the money, power, and influence in the world at the top of all these power pyramids that believe this shit, which is what we're seeing, they have the power to actualize it into reality if we don't catch on to it and realize this is an actual existential threat to our very existence and survival on this planet. We don't know just with these shots that everybody's taking and now they're recommending five shots in Queensland, Australia. Trudeau just came out this morning and said, we need everybody to be updated to three shots or otherwise we're bringing back lockdowns. 
how many shots we're going to get to an equilibrium level where it's every 30 minutes you're just injecting yourself or you have nanotech in your body that's just emitting it into your cells because they're not trying to solve a health crisis or a virus they look at humanity as the virus the vaccine is not a vaccine to stop the virus the vaccine is a vaccine against the human virus that's how they look at it and what if what if we get down the line and a lot of the predictions coming from top scientists and experts around the world right now that are warning us about this experiment that they don't know there's no long-term safety and all the data we're getting from Pfizer and these big pharmaceutical companies that nobody wants to read, including your doctor for some reason that comes out and says, Hey, we tested it on eight mice, so it must be safe. Let's, let's go. Oh, all the ferrets died in our original experiments. So we moved right away to human trials and we're not going to release the results of those human trials for 75 years. They had to be ordered by a judge to release that information over eight months. And we're slowly learning about it now. They wanted to wait until you were dead before they told you how they killed you <laughs> slowly. What if they, what if this causes permanent sterility? What if we end up in a children of men scenario? What if only a certain percentage of the shots were programmed in that way or created in that way? And only a certain percentage of humanity will, will be infertile. They're at a point now with this technology where they can do gene targeting bioweapons where they can target. And they've been working on this for a long time. What do you think they've been experimenting on Africa for and all these in India and China? They've been experimenting how to target races, how to target genders, how to target certain profiles, certain genetic profiles, certain blood types. Who would want to do that? Who wants to program the scientific annihilation of certain genomes and certain types of people? That's what they're talking about. This sounds crazy. All this is going to sound like science fiction if you just never heard of this before, but this is where we're at in the conversation. Welcome. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. So is it an ancient alchemical agenda? Just now with the new language of tech, computers, nanotech, AI? Or is there an ancient root that we need to look at? I think it's an ancient root. I think it's an ancient route. All right, now I'm going to play part one of a three-part video series I'm going to play for you today that I made out of a clip uh, from my good friend, Michael Tessarian, who's an expert on this exact subject we're talking about. He did this back in 2007 on Red Ice Creations. And those were some phenomenal original interviews. And I just clipped out one of my favorite interviews that he did. This one shocked me. This one I've listened to multiple times. I've been wanting to make a little edited clip of it for a long time. Um, so I spliced in some cultomedics footage and some other footage and just try to dress it up for you to hopefully get the point across of this perspective. We're going to zoom out now. And uh, this one here is part one of uh, that little series that we're going to go through. So let's hear from Michael and see what he's got to say on this. First, we have to realize that technology um, is not something new. It's just even looking at the meaning of the word, the word technology is an Egyptian word. Tech, T-E-K, was how it was spelled back in Egyptian times, and it was a religion. It was part of, it was part of a, a worship, connects to the name of the serpent. Uh, so that again, we have the serpent symbol being very much at the heart of the symbolism connected to technology. But technology has been on this planet for aeons. In my work, you see. Um, 
we were visited about 50,000 years ago by beings, off-world beings, who have been you know, instrumental in our civilization during a great war that they had in the past, uh, the so-called War of the Gods that all the mythologies talk about, they lost all of their technological hardware. This was a war that was fought with incredible weaponry and sophisticated hardware, but the war was so severe that it actually precipitated enormous earth changes. And a lot of authors and a lot of scientists have been able to discover now information that the earth did go through these great cataclysms, but they haven't drawn the right conclusions. One of the most important understandings is that the technology of the ancients, the technology that built the, you know, the Temple of Solomon, the technology that built the pyramid, the technology that uh, the Maya are known to have used in their calendars, the technology that built the first ships that you know, navigated the seas in ages long past, basically the technology that uh, created the ancient world and also the empires of the historical age, this technology was lost. So when we find ourselves today in a silicon age, in a cybernetic age, we have to understand there's nothing new about that. It's only because we have a myopic historical vision and that we have historical amnesia that we think that it's only since the Renaissance or it's only since the Industrial Age or the Agricultural Age, you see, that man built machines and man had the, you know, railways and man started getting into the concept of uh, machinery and technology. This is an age-old movement and we are just being provided or given a very small, limited vision, modern vision, into it. But if you look at the symbols that the corporations of the great technological corporations are using today, and some of the memes and the, you know, the uh, logos that they're using, you will see that they are also referring to their ancient, ancient roots. What we're seeing today is but the arrowhead of a long arrow stretching way back into time. The Royal Academy and the Royal Societies and the royal dynasties of the world who are funding these Silicon Valley groups and funding this genetic research. Because even though they call the Silicon Valley Silicon Valley, three quarters of the companies in the Silicon Valley have nothing to do with silicon. They're all genetics. Did you know that? The Silicon Valley is three quarters of the economy there is run by companies that are into genetics, not just uh, silicon chips. So there's a, there's a big disguise going on. Wow. Gives me goosebumps every time. Crazy stuff, eh? Is it so crazy? Is it so crazy? Did you see that company, Sophia, Sophia Genetics? 23andMe? <laughs> They're get, we're getting played, okay? What is all of these ancient religious symbols doing all over scientific organizations. What is ancient religious occult symbology doing being employed by a bunch of atheists, allegedly, that have no belief whatsoever in any of these things that we're talking about? That alone should give you, is it mockery? Is it just, oh, that's a cute little design, the seal of Satan. Let's just use that. Let's use the Masonic aprons. Let's use the wheel within wheels. Let's use the Great Pyramid everywhere possible. Let's use the sun all over the place. Let's use yellow and blue. Let's use, you know, the, these people, it's so ancient, it's new. And what a theory. 
to think about. We're going to get more. There's two more clips like that, and I have a lot more clips to go through. Um, and actually, let me just see, where am I at here? I got to kind of look at this quickly. And then that, yeah, just looking at that Charles Fort quote to open this whole thing up, I think we're property. Let me say this before we go to another clip. Maybe I should load the clip before, just so we're ready. Ah, I know which one we're going to do. I know what we're going to do next. We'll look at what Hollywood has been telling us because he's going to be mentioning some of that coming up. Um, a lot of people have trouble with this concept that we're talking about of some kind of advanced intervention in the ancient times and genetic manipulation of humanity because they think that by taking that on board as a possible theory that it eliminates a divine creator i don't agree with that what i think is that the divine creation the creation and i believe in that that it was a creation and, and I can't even understand the process of it where my limited mind couldn't understand it, but that it's an unfolding creation that there is a creator. I just don't look at it as a guy sitting in the sky in the clouds, like a Monty Python skit. I look at it in a, in a way that it's undefinable. I, I dare not define it. I dare not. It's so big. It's so there is a divine presence and order in the universe. There is a God in that sense. Okay. And I know a lot of the, I can't trip over these minds uh, without bringing this up, that we're all divided. Us humans, us fringe minority, surf class, whatever they refer to us as, we're all fighting with each other over these ideas. We are not a cohesive unit opposing this sorcery. Yet they're sorcerers. I'm using that term. That's what these people are. They are modern day sorcerers pretending to be scientists using ancient alchemy, using ancient knowledge of genetics. And they are aligned in their vision, even if they are cutthroat with each other on other issues in the way that mob bosses would be in one day fighting for the street corner, fighting for the control of that market. And another day they align so that they can avoid prosecution or that they can avoid, maybe they come together strategically to take out another mob boss. We're dealing with psychopaths. We're dealing with something bigger than we can imagine. And yet they are aligned because it's happening. Their vision is happening. Their distorted view of reality is being superimposed on the world. And we are all going to be forced to live in their worldview if we don't stop it, if we don't align at least on the points that matter. So we don't have to agree because if we see if, if I I've done this my whole life, I've spoken to priests, Catholic priests, Protestant pastors, evangelicals, Jehovah's witnesses, Mormons, Scientologists, Muslims, Imams, Buddhists, Hindus, new agers, scientists, atheists, psychologists, detectives, UFOlogists, demonologist. I've looked at it all as extensively as I, as one person can, and I'll continue to look at it, but I've interviewed all these people and they're all at war against each other. 
even within their own cults, even within their own religions. They're all divided. They all interpret this stuff differently, and we're fighting over it. Meanwhile, the technotronic world is being built around us. It's kind of like Game of Thrones. We're all fighting over the control of the throne of knowledge. And meanwhile, the White Walkers are walking in to take us all out and replace us with them or something else. So we have to get around this. We have to, I'm trying to find a way where I can communicate to you guys without the chats blowing up in a big, I mean, hey, go for the debates if, to suss it out, be respectful. But we are at war right now with something so big and so organized, and at least they're on the same page about this agenda because they all mutually benefit from it. And we're all tearing each other to bits over these things. So I'm presenting all the theories of, of looking at the same thing, and that's how I look at it. Truth is like a crystal. A crystal ref reflects and refracts light. If you think of the truth, the core truth behind all of this as being that crystal, when the light hits it, it reflects different color spectrums, different angles, different refractions. And people look at that refraction and think they're looking at the truth. When they're looking at a reflection of a central truth, that is that crystal in this metaphor. And we're all looking at the same thing with different language and different interpretations of that thing. That makes more sense to me than every religion and philosophy and worldview being wrong or all being right. We're all right and we're all wrong. We're kind of blind in the dark, feeling something like the elephant, the blind man and the elephant. One guy thinks it's a tail. One guy thinks it's a tree stump. One guy thinks it's a snake. One guy thinks it's a wall, a brick wall. And they're fighting over those details when they're all touching a freaking elephant. So there's an elephant in the living room. And I want to know what it is. And I'd love to hear what you think it is. But don't tear each other to bits over the differences of the details that in the end don't matter. Let's agree on one thing. Our freedom and sovereignty as human beings is under attack. We're being taken over by a death cult that believes in genetically modifying the entire human species, depopulating a significant portion of the planet, and creating a, a transhuman AI technological world run by them, where you own nothing, they own it all, and they just keep feeding you the happy pills to keep you shut in your room and that you're not going to resist them. And they have a belief in this, and they've not just been tinkering with our genetics in modern times, they've been tinkering with our genetics throughout time. They being not these immortal beings that survived all of history, but just either the biological descendants or the psychological, ideological descendants, the philosophical descendants of these ancient ideas. Like, I always tell this to people when they think secret societies are done and gone, any kind of old thing, conspiracies out. It's all been washed out by history. You know, we won World War II, so therefore it's all over. Like those kind of people, I say, well, no, these people have an ancient religion in the same way you worship an ancient religion. You go to a church, you go to a mosque, you go to a temple, you set up a little shrine in your house. You have your belief that's ancient. It goes back to you're interpreting your reality through the lens of ancient ideas. And you're going to tell me that the elites at the top don't do the exact same thing, just with maybe different ancient ideas that you know nothing about? 
And you think that, so Islam's still around. Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, some of the oldest religions in the world are still around. They still have their temples. They're still tax-exempt foundations. They're still preaching their gospels, recruiting people. That, that's the surface. These people behind the curtain have their own private religion. And we're starting to see signs of what that religion really is. And we're fighting it all out of our, our different take. And they're aligned in their vision. Who's going to win? Who's going to win if that continues? So I just wanted to say that. We're fighting amongst ourselves over details that honestly don't matter. I don't care if it's just a bunch of psychopaths running it. I don't care if it's a bunch of demonic entities from another spiritual dimension. I don't care if it's a bunch of alien scientists from another planet. Any one of those or all of them could all be happening simultaneously. Well, there's a hidden occult agenda that it doesn't include humanity as part of the future of this planet. A new being is being created. So let's focus on that. Let's align on freedom and let's try to pursue the truth open-mindedly. I'm not committed. I have my theory. I have my favorites. I have my biases. I have my favorite teachers, my favorite way of looking at it. But you can interpret the things I'm talking about through your view through your language. Is that fair? Can we, can we stay there and still be friends and still fight on the same battle lines and still face this great enemy at this battle of the black gates together without chewing each other's heads off over every little goddamn thing? So there's my rent on that. Let's align. Let's align on what we can agree with. And with that, let's start looking at what Hollywood's been telling us because I think they've been telling us a lot. Uh, there's been many, many, many great science fiction writers producers, filmmakers that have been telling us this story through fiction, through right brain, the right brain, because if they ever told you what they knew from being in these circles at the top, if they told you what they really knew and what they really thought, and they put it out in a documentary or a book, a fact-based book, like so many of the books I have on my shelf that were written by these mavericks and people don't even know they exist because they've been whitewashed. If they did that, they wouldn't have a movie. They wouldn't have made Dune. They wouldn't have made Star Trek. They wouldn't have made some of these movies. Doctor Who, The Prisoner, they wouldn't have made it. They said, I'm, I know something. I found something out. Even Tolkien, even C.S. Lewis, even some of these people, they knew something factually to be true. And they said, well, we'll tell them through the right brain because they'll never accept it with the left brain. They'll burn us and lynch us. Or we will be exposed by the people we are trying to expose and we will be outed and we will be something bad will happen to us. So we'll tell them through fiction. Also, interesting. We're talking about ancient scriptures and mythology and seeing if there's anything real behind it because the whole of science just goes, ah, throw it in the garbage can. None of that stuff's relevant anymore. It's just a bunch of dumb apes talking campfire stories. That's how they look at you. That's how Yoel Harari would look at it. Um, Whereas I say, no, no, the ancient myths and legends are what survived all the book burnings and sequestering of ancient advanced knowledge and history. That's what the mythological record is. It's the oral story told in a disguised mythological way for two reasons. One, to hide from the authorities, the truth, kind of like the martial art capoeira, you know, capoeira, where they do all that. It's kind of, it's a dance that was designed by these Brazilian African tribes to disguise the fact that they were training how to defend themselves. So they're all, oh, we're just dancing, just getting a drum beat going, do a little dance, a couple spins, check it out. Meanwhile, we're learning how to kick your ass, <laughs> right? 
It's the same thing with the mythologies. That's one reason. The other reason is that's how the ancient mind worked. The bicameral or pre-bicameral mind. It was both logical and creative. So they never just told a story on December the 7th, 10 AD, this happened. They told it in a right brain way because the humans they lived amongst lived in a different way of thinking than we do now. They were different. They had different brains. They hadn't had the transhumanism done to them that we've already had done to us. So they interpreted things differently. They interpreted reality different. Lightning, thunder, rain, that was from the gods. That was a mystical, mythological, they lived in that world. So when they told stories about these things, they told it within the scope of that mythos, that mythological language, that's actually telling you a real story. And that's the trouble. We got to get into the interpretations and the edits and the missing pieces and put it all together. We're dealing with shards of information that's had to survive empire expansion, invasion, burning, looting, stealing, taking, storing it under the Vatican basement, whatever, for thousands of years. And here we are walking around thinking, oh, I, I got it all figured. <laughs> right. People that know, know that they know Jack compared to what is to be known. So just as the ancient mythologers told you a mythological story to tell you the truth, if you have the right keys of knowledge to decipher what's really there, you know, symbolism, you know, this, you know, etymology, you know how to read these words also in different languages. These, these stories have come to us. They've been translated. Many of them poorly translated, many of them yet to be translated. The same mythology is being spun in movie making and filmmaking. And not everybody in Hollywood's bad. And some of them are just making the films that they're permitted to make within certain guidelines and boundaries that they push the edges on in order to tell a story to humanity the same way the ancients did, which was to tell you a myth that's telling you actually the truth at the bottom of the myth. You just have to know what you're looking at. All right, there's my intro for this clip from Jupiter Ascending. Here we go. Each of us has a code for our optimal physical condition. The problem is our genes have an expiration date which is transferred to our cells. A long time ago, someone figured out how to replace deteriorating cells with new ones. Today it's as easy as changing a light bulb. Where do you get these light bulbs? You grow them. Like clones? No. Clones lack genetic plasticity. Several million years ago, a gene plague caused by cloning nearly annihilated the entire human race. I was told that the house of a brass exceeded the earth. Is that where you get it? Your earth is a very small part of a very large industry. 
feel my skin. Wow. In your world, people are used to fighting for resources, like oil or minerals or land. But when you have access to the vastness of space, you realize there's only one resource worth fighting over, even killing for. More time. Time is the single most precious commodity in the universe. What is that? It has many names. Regenex, Resell, Nectar. There are various levels of usefulness and quality, but this is the most pure and most valuable solution made by the house for Brassics. Kali came out of a bath. Naturally, my sister didn't explain what it is or where it comes from. It comes from people. Each unit is refined from approximately a hundred human beings. Your planet is a farm, Jupiter. There are thousands of planets like yours set up by families like mine to supply an ever-increasing demand for more time. You say you killed a hundred people to make this? Not me, but... Yes, someone did. Not unlike butchering a herd of cattle. <gasps> oh my God. It's all right. It's all right. My mother went through a profound change at the end of her life. She felt exactly as you do now. But when she tried to do something to stop this business, she was murdered. I believe the same thing's about to happen to me because I began to carry out the work she started. Ooh, pretty heavy stuff. I think it kind of froze at the end there. Sorry about that, guys. Um... So I'll let you interpret this how you wish. Uh, this kind of gives you the whole, this is the whole thing about this adrenochrome stuff we hear about, the farming, the are we a property. Um, it's coming through this film, talking about it in a more sci-fi kind of way. You can interpret it through the lens you wish, but it's all there. And uh, it's interesting how he talks about how my mother had a change of heart about this industry that is actually galactic. It's not just planet, it's a galactic industry. That earth is a corporate farm that is was given as a gift to one of the kings of this other planet. And that they essentially farm the earth for human genetics and human blood in order to regenerate dying cells. And we're hearing celebrities talk about this in a very light way. We had people like Isaac Cappy coming out, other whistleblowers. You can get into that whole research. It's dark and horrible. Look at even uh, the research into things like human organ harvesting that goes on in the black markets, which I did a lot of research on for this chapter eight that I did, but I honestly didn't even include it because it was just so sickening. I, I just kind of prefer, okay, you know about it. I don't need to go into the details. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's stomach churning. I lost sleep studying it. But you have Hollywood talking about it and they saying, oh, my mother had a change of heart and uh, there would be a lot of repercussions if she came out and told the truth. Now, later we find out he's lying. Spoiler alert. But anyways, check out the film. Uh, my Josh Reed and I are going to do a show analyzing Jupiter Ascending. I think that would be a fun Saturday night show we'll do sometime. Uh, you guys can join us for that. There's just so much in there. And it was made by the Wachowski brothers, sisters. We don't know. 
So same people that made the matrix, another whistleblowing film. Um, you know, there's so many, so many, so yeah, earth is a farm it's owned by somebody, or at least ownership has been claimed on it. And I realized as I'm showing you this, I didn't get to finish my thought fully on the idea of a creator, right? And how does this mean there is no creator and we were just created by a bunch of alien beings or something or other people from elsewhere. And it's like, no, just as on our planet, this is just an argument that I can throw your way for people that are worried about that. Um, just as on our planet, we humans are tinkering with organic creations and changing them and genetically manipulating them to be something they are not. I think that if we were to look at it from the perspective of we're not going to look through the atheist Darwinian lens, we're going to look through the idea that there is a divine order, a creator, a spirit, a universal divine presence that created all things or is unfolding itself through this universe, um, that it created everything perfect. It created everything the way it needed to be at a high level. I mean, here we are operating. I am right now. There's no Wi-Fi delay in my ability to move my hands and you know, it's perfect technology, no matter how advanced it is, isn't even close to what the human eyeball can do to what the human brain can do. Um, so the idea that this, the idea that these beings came from elsewhere and maybe created us or messed with us, if we go with this theory, um, just shows that these are the rebels. These are the ones that are defying the natural order that the creator put in place. The original creator, whoever that ends up being, whatever that ends up being. Um, and so just as we humans manipulate creations into these chimeric creatures and do all this experimentation and we have CRISPR and we're doing all this stuff, it's the same when it comes to the universal order and anything that would violate that, that would violate the prime directive of don't interfere with evolving species that you'd hear in Star Trek. Someone did. Let's just say someone did. That's what we're saying. That's a possibility. And that's where we are. So we're not dealing with the original creators of all things. We're dealing with the fake stand-ins, the emperor with no clothes. We're dealing with the, the illusion, with the, uh, you know, the, it's like these types of people that become totalitarians. They all suffer from like little man syndrome, little woman syndrome. They're all betas desperately trying to find and hold power over who they fear. So it's the same with these, whoever this is at the top, whether they're just human psychos, whether they're interdimensional, whether they're otherworldly, um, they're just imposing their view of reality on top of the original creation. That doesn't make them the gods. It just makes them gods with a small g, and it makes them self-proclaimed gods. And if they're owning us as property, that doesn't mean we are their property. Maybe on a legal sense, they could say, oh, we put genetically altered stuff in you, and therefore we own that technology, so now we own you. That's, uh, that's the way thieves and manipulators operate. They don't own shit. They manipulated the natural order. They're now galactic criminals. We need a galactic Nuremberg. <laughs> And it'll probably come their way. Who knows if this all pans out? We're just speculating here, right? But it just makes you think. And I just wanted to put that out there, that if you were to understand this, that there was genetic manipulation in the ancient past or the modern time, which is happening. We're, all, we're genetically modifying humans right now. 
so does that make the people that are genetically modifying humans the creator of all things? No. Does that make them God? No. It makes them fakers trying to become that. And that's what they want. They say it. We're the gods. Humanity invented gods, and now we're going to become the gods. That's the way they think. That's the way they believe. That doesn't have to be the reality. And it also doesn't cancel out that there's been genetic manipulation or that genetic manipulation brought us to be the very different upright walking being that we are in comparison with all the rest of nature. We're going to get into a little bit of that as we go. So I just want to put that out there because I know I'm going to get that. And I just wanted to give you my thoughts on that. That's one possibility. Okay. Now let's go to the second MSAR clip that I prepared for you because he gets into this a little bit. Let's see what he's got to say. Here it is. Basically, a lot of what the science fiction people are saying, what I think, I think the greatest, the greatest writers tend to talk about this post-human man, you know, the post-cybernetic -cyber, man, which is a creature We've talked on other shows about the inauthentic man, that man's whole life is motivated by the guilt that he has from living in an inauthentic life. But technological man is also connected to this guilt complex. Yeah. If, you, if you live your life so in an anti-human way, meaning if you have no idea, you're living as a human being, but you're not really human. You're more, you've dumbed yourself down to the level of such an automaton. You're basically a programmed automaton because you've been programmed by your parents, you've been programmed by your peers, you've been programmed by the teachers, you see, you've been programmed by the media as almost every young adult today is programmed by the media. It's almost unbelievable. Anything they see on television, five minutes later they're into it, worse than ever before. And if you do this and you reduce yourself, so this mechanistic or what you might call technotronic, this is the word that, you know, uh, Brzezinski yeah. uses, the yeah. technotronic Excellent. world that they're trying to create, well they've been successful. Man is living as a technotronic automaton. So he has reduced himself to the, uh, what in Doctor Who they have the, uh, the uh, Cyberman, a uh, part, part human, part organic, part, uh, human. It's thinking. It's all in your thinking. Your thinking can become so super rational, so technological, so, so anti-human, so anti-organic, so anti-feminine, that your thinking can become literally the thinking of a robot, of a machine, something that can in fact be programmed. That is the origin of, the technological man and of course that individual will feel more at home in a world of technology and cold machines than he will amongst warm human beings with with passions and with realities on a more psychological level this identification this uh, automatic like a man being an automaton happens because man has literally identified with his leaders Ah, we're getting a little deeper. That was a good clip. Um, this, the, what he's talking about is the colonization happened first in the mind, in the way that they made human thought robotic. It started with our thinking first. It was a mind control operation first. It is now at the stage of another wave of this physical biological altering. 
but it started with psychological altering. Didn't the pandemic start with psychological altering first? The new normal was an idea. It was just an idea. It wasn't in factual reality just yet. It was an idea that they started talking about, oh, there's a deadly virus. We got to do things we've never, ever done before to deal with viruses. And so we're going to create a new normal. And here we are two and a half years later, we're still having the same conversation. Because it was training psychologically for the physical attack. The physical attack is always preceded by a psychological attack. Look at even how great fighters go and psychologically try to throw off their opponents before the fight even starts. Think of like Muhammad Ali or Conor McGregor or some of these types who get out there and they get in the minds of their opponent first and then they take them out physically. It's an asymmetric warfare strategy, number one. It's very efficient. It's very ancient. It's a good strategy to employ. It's very effective. And it's always a psychological attack. So what Michael's pointing out there is that they made you think like a robot before they even brought robots into the world, into your psyche, into Hollywood movies. They made you think hyper-rational, left brain prisoner stuck in the left brain. Nothing wrong with the left brain, but if it's only if your thinking is only left brain, you have no creativity, you have no empathy, you have no um, higher order thinking, you have no emotion. And if you're flipped and you're only right brain, you have no connection to reality whatsoever. So they went, well, let's create the super rational. That's your science. And again, nothing wrong with science, but it's it's got a place, right? We want both. We want both the left brain and the right brain. But they created robotic thinking. That was the first wave of transhumanism that we experienced as a species. That's what they did. Now we're on to the biological physical. I hope that makes sense. And now he's got one more clip. We'll do one more clip here. Part three. This is just fascinating to me anyways. Let me know what you guys think. You enjoying yourselves? Is this too deep, too dark? Freaking out too much? Don't worry. I'll give you something nice to wrap it up with. All right. Here we go. Part three. On a more psychological level, this identification, this uh, automatic, like a man being an automaton, happens because man has literally identified with his leaders. The leaders are already, in my belief, literally physically descended from Atlanteans, off-world beings who were technologically advanced. We are living in the mirror image of our masters who are technological, even, even in the prehistorical age. They're making us in their image. We are their servants. No more and no less. They have only kept us around. And certainly the middle class is in great jeopardy now because they really don't need us anymore. From one angle, you see, they've only kept us around because we've been of service to them in their journey to build back the technology to get to the point where they can restore the weaponry and the technology that they have. These are technotronic people from a technotronic planet, from a technotronic age on their own. They came here, infected this planet, and have been basically making us in their image. However, the dumbed down, we still have a human aspect to ourselves, but you see, the human aspect is identifying with the power. I talked about this in the, in the presentation, The Future of Mankind, that how it is that we identify with those who have power. We give our power 
away, and then we're seduced into identifying with the object of our hatred. We, so in other words, by identifying with the leaders, we model ourselves on these cyborg-type Atlantean descendants, the, the creatures, the, the children of the Nephilim, and because we are so in slave think, the slave think allows us to identify with those who might murder us, who might kill us, the people who pay our bills, the people who give us a certain amount of, uh, of, of life, survival, you know, uh, enough for survival. We have psychologically identified with our own controllers. And the controllers use this identification to the greatest maximum means. And therefore we ingest and digest everything that these people hand us. So if they say you're going to work, you know, so many days of a week, or you're going to be a slave in a factory with no time off, or you're going to work down the mines, we do it. And if they say you're going to go and kill in our name and you're going to put your fellow human beings in our name, we do it. And if they say you're going to outsource your jobs and impoverish your own country, uh, we're going to pull up the ladders of the middle class, we do it. And if they're going to say you're going to rape nature and poison the oceans, we do it. And if you're going to believe in false religion, you know, just to keep you all pacified on the emotional side, because we know you're a bunch of emotional, uh, you know, chaotic individuals, we'll make sure that you have that handled for you to keep you warm at night. We'll believe that too. So. But we're living in a situation in which we are plastic. We are literally living in a uh, cybernetic age. But it's brought about by our identification, not with the great teachers, not with the great masters, not with the great naturalists. But we, because remember, they're out there as well. So how come we haven't identified with Emerson and Perot, you know, and, and the, with the, some of the great masters who talked about this? And how come we didn't, you know, listen to Hahnemann and to Paracelsus and to all the ecologists, you see, and all of these people who tell us, and by the way, they can even show us a finer and better way to be, by the way. So even if you put it on paper, what they have, as against what the technotronic world has, they come out trumps every time. They have a beautiful template of how to live that roots us back in the, the ancestral past, but also puts us closer to nature and gives us a more brighter future. It appeases us spiritually much greater. It gives us greater bonding with one another, which everybody seems to be crying out for. So why is it that we turn into, you know, the, the world of the disco and, 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 the, and the acid houses and the drug culture and the addictive culture and the, and the media culture? See, so it's not just a simple choice. It's deeper than choice. It goes to the level of identification with our masters, our, our, the people who control the strings on which we move. And we have to deal with this identification and realize, like I've said before, that the identification is the bastard child. It's like the abortion of the guilt that we carry for each of us choosing an inauthentic life. Wow. So much to pull out of that one. Finished with a positive note. We just listened to the wrong people. We listened to the worm tongues, the soothsayers, the priests, the manipulators, the propagandists. We trusted known liars and criminals. He's getting into something very key here about, again, psychological attack, then the biological attack. Probably started with a spiritual attack. You know, it's all happening. We live in a war zone. And there's something about us that has been trained into us or even bred into us to identify with our masters. Think of the weight of that. Just think of the way, forget everything else I've told you and just think of that. Look at the world, look at these people, look what's going on. 
It's external identification with your masters instead of kingdom of heaven within. Instead of listening to the spirit voice within you, you listen to them and they're experts at implanting their voice in your head, their thoughts in your head, their behaviors through the media, through the culture, through everything. They have so many ways of doing this, the entrainment to get you to identify with them, to get you to become them. Or at least to become an adequate servant to them. All these quotes from the ancient texts about how man was created to give the gods their ease. You'll owe nothing and be happy. That's, a not, that's not a new statement. When he said that shit, and that was the basic premise and motto of the entire Great Reset, I knew who these people were. Because that wasn't the first time that those words had been uttered. And they're always followed by devastation, chaos, poverty, genocide. You know? So, identification with the master. That means there's a part of us that actually keeps these guys in power. There's a part of us that because there's a void within, it's been created artificially. It's been assisted by the fact that people maybe are lazy or afraid or whatever. We didn't deal with, we weren't taught. I think a lot of us are innocent in this. You know, if you really zoom out, we've been attacked for a long time by a very sophisticated system. It goes well above our heads, well out of our view of our just little life. And here we are, and we don't even know what drives us. All the research the behaviorists did and the, the behaviorists, you know, the propagandists did, these uh, mind control experiments trying to induce behavior. What the, What is that but about them studying the science with our tax money, how to entrain you, how to get you to identify with them? They're like, how do we make humans not human? How do we make humans psychopath sociopathic how do we make humans sociopathic how do we do that how do we cut off their empathy how do we make them comfortable in an inorganic world well we got to make the inorganic world more entertaining than the real world so we'll start with that and then real reality is hard enough with all the trauma of life putting aside the many blessings and gifts of life for a second, but this is how people think that life is hard. Nature is vicious. Consequences are frightening. So they're going to give me a video game life where I can create my own avatar and live in a metaverse in a pretend world while they plunder the real world and plunder my genetics and turn me into something that is actually a better suited pet. What did we do? Guys, is this crazy? What did we do to animals? We bred house cats. They didn't exist before. We're going to get into some more interesting shit about cats in a second. It's going to blow your mind. And why the ancient Egyptians maybe worshipped them. But we bred animals. We bred certain roosters for cockfighting. We bred certain humans for human fighting. We bred uh, pets, dogs, different breeds of dogs, different breeds of horses, different breeds of vegetables, different breeds of food, different everything. We've been altering it. 
creating it in, a, in the, the way we want it. And there's a cost to every change we've made. And it's, yeah, we're crazy for thinking that something did that to us first. You think it's crazy? So identification with the master. This was the huge bombshell for me that got me into doing all this research into cults when I did my uh, series, Cults of Death and Power. This presentation gives me that vibe of like long presentations of those. You can go check them out. They're all on my uh, Rockfin channel. Um, going into why, that was my question. Why do people sign up for these things? You saw pictures there of, uh, what is it, Nexium or whatever the hell it's called? Why do, why do these women sign up for abuse and being branded like cattle and being sexually enslaved to these maniacs? Why do they keep going back for more? What's with Stockholm Syndrome, where humans prefer their abusers over the people trying to save them? What is that? That, the reason that's such a question is because it's a, it's a mode of thinking and operating that is completely contradictory to your survival. So why would a being do that? Why would a living organism do that? We're the only creatures that do to the extent that we do. And so when I've said before, the way out of this mess is in, that's what I'm talking about get rid of those hooks inside of you that are hooking you to these dark sorcerers. They are offering you the world on a plate. They are saying, all of this can be yours if only you will kneel before me. If only you will give me your sovereignty. If only you will give me complete ownership and control over your body, your mind, and your soul. I will give you all of this. That is what the, that's the offer being made. Humanity, that reality out there, the reality of your body, and you have body disassociation disorder, or you have self-sadism, as a psychologist would call it, or you have trauma from the past that you don't want to deal with, or you have, you know, you're bored or whatever. <laughs> don't worry. We've got lots of breads and circuses for you and more on the way. And you know what? Screw reality. Who needs that? Leave that to us. We'll own it. You guys just show up. Don't worry about it. But the price is your freedom and your life. And if we think that you need to be culled, you signed in blood, so we get to do what we want. If you if you if we need you to be one of our experimental lab rats, you signed the dotted line, you gave it to us. These guys, for some reason, I think there's some kind of karmic law that they believe in or some kind of prime directive that they believe in or that operates within the universe. These guys are just, you know, whoever's doing this, they operate in a really strange way where they always entrap you to enslave yourself. They don't directly do anything. They want you clapping and cheering for them. So they recruit you through sophistry. Sophistry being the art form of manipulating language to create a change in human behavior. Just using language. Forget about genetic alteration or any of that stuff. Just using words. Those were the first spells. What do you do when you write a word on a piece of paper? You spell it out. That's the first magical spell. 
And the first magical spells were done by the manipulation of language to get your mind to identify with abusers, tyrants, criminals, psychopaths, and anti-human creatures that are nothing like what you think they are. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's our naivety that has been our biggest adversary. And that's what he's pointing out. And that was the first attack. So it's not a surprise when you know that, that now that they're rolling all this contact tracing and, and um, biometrics and all this stuff that you guys all know about, I'm sure. It's no surprise to me that people are just thrilled about it. They love it. They can't wait. They want, they want the mask mandates to return. They, were, they already gave up their identity. Why would you want to show your face now when you already sold out your identity? You, you bought the lie. You sold your identity to them. They now own you. They've patented the technology they just injected into you. And so they believe they own you. But I'm here to tell you these at the top, at the tip top, maybe not down the totem pole, but at the tip top, I believe there's a very adequate theory that could say that these people, whatever they are, that are doing this to humanity already believed that they owned us because the genetic manipulation happened a long time ago. And they look at you as that, whether you believe that or not, it doesn't matter. That's what they believe. If that's not reality, it doesn't matter. That's what they believe. And they operate off that belief. So they believe they own you. They believe they own this planet. And when you have that belief and you have more money than anybody else, and you have all the power and the militaries that you're, you have all the intelligence networks, you have all the secret societies, you have all the financiers, you have all the Hollywood stars, you have everybody worshiping your feet. You're the new gods of the modern world now, as they're saying openly in public. Then it makes sense that a lot of people are going to actually go, I want to be a branded cattle on your farm. I want that because it offers me the illusion of security. It means I don't have to become my own divine individual as example given by the Christ or by the Buddha or by any of these great figures or by these great teachers who were telling you to realize your own potential, that you are made perfect. And that when they come in and tell you, you're not made perfect, we're going to upgrade you and give you all these super superpowers. Um, there's, a, there's a cost to that transaction. There's a cost and it could be a dear cost. It could be the cost of actually what it means to be human. And that's just too far of a bridge for me personally. I don't know about you guys. All right. Let's try to narrow in now. Now, okay. Let me check, make sure I didn't have any other clips. I do have more, but I, I just before I get to this last section, I'll make sure I didn't miss anything. We did Yoel Harari. We got into the mindset of the transhumanists of the modern day. We looked at the different theories here. Yeah. We did all that. Okay. So we're ready. All right, now we're going to get into the work of the great Lloyd Pye for a minute, because I think he's got some words on this that are going to be very interesting. And I know people out there watching this, you may have heard these little things I'm presenting to you in bits and pieces. My goal was to try to just blend it all together and remix it in a way that maybe you hadn't heard, but hopefully to get some new thoughts going so that we can narrow it down. But for those that don't know, uh, Lloyd Pye was a scientist, a researcher, um, who he passed away, what was it? 2012, I think. Um, he had a very fast acting cancer that killed him with inside 30 days. 
And other than that, he was known to be completely healthy. And there are a lot of people that hold suspicion about his death. But he was somebody that was very eloquent. He has written some fantastic books. That He wrote the book, Everything You Know Is Wrong. And he's talking both to the Darwinian creation, the Darwinian evolutionists and the more fundamentalist, literalist, religious types. And he's saying, you're all wrong. There's a third option. There's a, there's, there's a whole way of looking at everything that's completely different. And then you look at his research and you decide what stays, what goes, how it fits. But what he's brought is invaluable, I think. Getting into genetic research, looking at this from a scientific perspective. So if anything we've been talking about seems airy-fairy, pie in the sky, it's too mythological, it's too outside the box, you won't find a more grounded researcher in this field talking about it uh, from a very detailed scientific perspective than someone like Lloyd Pye. Can't recommend him enough. Um, he wrote a book also on intervention theory, which actually, if you go back to uh, Dr. Horn, his, his whole analysis, it actually plays in very well to what Lloyd Pye is talking about, even though Dr. Horn comes from a Christian mentality and Lloyd Pye comes from outside of that religious paradigm. They're actually telling you a very similar story. So this next section would be for those of you who are coming more from a scientific perspective on things to explain this. But again, I'll say you can interpret this in a lot of different ways and it's incredible. So let's just check out this first clip and then I'll give you some more comments. Here we go. But I know what we're up against. I'm very aware of what we're up against. We're up against a team, and we're a dysfunctional family. We're going to have to make some major overhauls in the way we approach the way we do business to have a dog's chance to succeed against these folks. They play hardball. We play jacks by comparison. Okay. I'm now going to take you off the deep end. For as radical as what I have said up to now might seem to you, we're now going to plunge off to the deep end. Because why? If humans are not pre-humans, or pre-humans don't lead to humans, if they're really hominoids, what are humans? What are we? How do you account for us? The way I account for us is this. Let's go through the lesson real quick. From macro to micro in five steps, the human body contains 100 trillion cells there is a nucleus inside each human cell except blood cells, sperm cells. Each nucleus contains 46 chromosomes arranged in 23 pairs. One chromosome of every pair is from each parent. The chromosomes are filled with tightly coiled strands of DNA. Genes are segments of DNA that can contain instructions to make proteins the building blocks of life. Next slide. Targeted gene replacement. This is what we are in the beginning stages of really learning how to do. We're getting pretty good at it, but we've still got a long way to go. But what our guys can do now is take chemicals that will cut through gene segments and splice them out and put other things in there and see what results. And when you get really good at this, you can do virtually anything with any living thing. You can mix and match to your heart's content when you really know what you're doing. Let's, let's, you've got some hunters here. Let's just, for example, let's think what if we wanted to hunt, if we wanted to create something that could really hunt, what would we, we'd, we'd want to 
create an animal that was really, really fast. So let's model it on a greyhound dog. Really fast, what do they run? About 35 miles an hour, 40, mi 40 miles an hour. But you got some pronghorn antelopes and things out there that can go 40, 45. So let's boost it. Let's supercharge that sucker. Let's, let's put him up to, let's get a greyhound up to 60 miles an hour. 60 miles an hour. Let's do that by lengthening its spine a little bit and making it extra springy so that his rear feet, when he comes up, they don't hit kind of close to his front feet. They hit way out in front so he can really power along. Now, we got ourselves a fat, but a dog doesn't have a killer instinct, does it? They've got to have a cat's killer instinct. Cats do the killing. So, now let's, let's give him a greyhound body, but let's give him a cat mentality to hunt. But at 60 miles an hour, what problem do we have? Turns, high-speed turns. Can't have a cat's feet because you've got those soft pads and retractable claws. We've got to keep the dog's feet on there. We've got to keep the hard pads and the, the extended claws. So we got to, but we can do it. We can do anything we want. We mix and match, and we can make ourselves a real great hunting animal that's a mixture of dogs and cats, right? Next slide. Oh, we already have one. We already have one. A cheetah, ladies and gentlemen, will run 60 miles an hour and absolutely overtake anything on a savanna. It is a domesticated cat, it's called. One of the very first domesticated cats. History going way back as hunting animals. And guess what? They are a blend of cats and dogs. See their fur? The tan part's what you find on a short-haired dog. The black spots are cat fur. See the feet? Dog. See the body? Cat. See the spine? Extended. Stretched out. Let's it run 60 miles an hour. Big heart. Extra lung capacity. Super lungs. High-speed turns. Absolutely a mixture of dogs and cats susceptible to diseases that only dogs get and susceptible to diseases only cats get. More importantly, and perhaps most significantly, they're all clones, genetically exactly alike. What's that mean? It means cheetahs are a product of genetic engineering. No question. Yet science insists they all came out of a genetic bottleneck of some kind. That's how it's explained, seriously, a genetic bottleneck. Somehow, all the cheetahs, all the creatures that led to cheetahs, died, except for a very few breeding pairs, somewhere, over the last few thousand years, and they radiated out again to the wide areas they cover now. A bottleneck, a genetic bottleneck. It's the only way to explain something that otherwise is inexplicable totally inexplicable. Now, supposedly cheetahs go back millions of years, like everything else, but as far as domestication goes, we know they've been domesticated the last 5,000 years. They were the one of the first ones, going back to the Egyptians and Sumerians. Absolutely one of the very first ones. That blew my mind when I first heard it. I mean, I heard about uh, the domestication of animals and the um, breeding of what we now call modern pets, you know, things like that. Um, and that's already enough. But knowing about the cheetah and thinking that it goes 
all the way back to ancient Egypt and Samaria, and it's talked about and even worshipped. Um, and when you look at it, it's the blending of the perfect predator. It's the perfect predator that stands out amongst all the other predators in that it is the best, it's the perfect athlete. Um, and it's got all the attributes you'd want from a greyhound and from a killer cat. And it's been modified. A creature that people just think was just part of the original package. It's not. It's something that came later. As many animals, uh, there's many animals and plants that were changed throughout history. So to speculate about how maybe more than just a cheetah has been altered by forces outside of micro and macro evolution, um, I don't think it's such a stretch after all when you take it all on board. And of course, science will always have its excuses for all these things, but they start to turn into something very ridiculous when you start adding it all up. And the very fact that we have these things in our world is quite a question mark. So let's, uh, let's continue. And then he's bringing up just <laughs> the chromosomes, the, the way that things work, the way, what you would need to do if you wanted to alter something just to get your mind around the fact that this could be actually something that went down and is still going on. And it's just there for you to think about, but it's, it's brilliant when you start really getting into the details of the research. So let's go to, let's go to the next one here. Okay. That covers the cheetah. Now this slide covers a lot of things. Domestication is one of the great untalked about unexamined mysteries of the world. That goes for wheat, corn, cattle, goats, sheep, anything, and us. Charles Darwin himself said, when you come down to it, humans are more like domesticated animals than anything else. Now, put that aside for a moment. Here's the story we get for wheat and grain and corn and cows, all domesticated plants and animals. This is what we get. Let's start with grains. Somehow in the Stone Age, some bright guy, thousands of years ago, 10,000 years ago or more, looks out of his cave one day and says, you know, if we were to go out there and pull up some of that grass or cereal or grain and bring it into our cave and pick through the little seeds that look like pepper flakes, if you've all seen their seeds, pick through and pick out the biggest ones and plant those and task our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and for the next couple of thousand years, if everybody keeps doing that same thing, pulling out the biggest seeds, eventually we're going to get big seeds that we can actually deal with. We can actually harvest and eat. And if we get lucky, if we do all of this for a couple thousand years, if we get lucky, maybe some miracle might change the biochemistry of those seeds and turn them in from things that we absolutely cannot use to some kind of a seed that, that our bodies can use. And furthermore, the way they're designed at the Rachel's and Glooms will allow us to harvest them and get them back somewhere and thrash them and we can get those seeds out. Everything about this has to be changed and that guy stood there at the front of his cave and somehow he had this vision and somehow he was able to pass the word down for hundreds of generations and everybody did it and somehow 
we wake up one day and we have all these things, domesticated plants. Same thing with the animals. Looking at the big wild oryx, just a real bad news thing. Looking at a wolf and saying, oh yeah, let's bring those in and keep those for several generations and breed the wildness out of them. Yeah, there's going to be some nipped ankles in the cave here for a few generations, but if we stick with it, we're going to get a dog and it'll be really fun. They might have puppies and it'll be fun. You know? So totally absurd. So totally absurd when you just think about it for five minutes. And yet that is totally bought, paid for, signed, sealed, and delivered by every major botanist that I know of. Nobody says these kinds of things. Nobody that I'm aware of. But yet it's there. A child should be able to see it. And again, so with humans, just like Darwin said, we seem to be like domesticated animals. Next slide. Cerebral cortex comparison. Now, evolution. Rat, if you take the cerebral cortex, which is the outside part of the brain, the outside covering, most closely related to intelligence, this part out here, and you peel it off and you spread it out, of a rat, it's about the size of a postage stamp. Of a monkey, it's about the size of a postcard. Of a chimpanzee, it's about the area of a sheet of typing paper. And for us, it's four sheets of typing paper. I submit to you that this is not evolution. This is something happening. This is supposedly our closest genetic relative. Something happened genetically to do this. Something happened. It's clear something happened. That is not evolution. But what? Next slide. Okay, again, I want to remind you the 12 ways humans are not primates. Bones much thinner and lighter, muscles 5 to 10 times weaker, skin not well adapted to direct sunlight, adipose tissue 10 times as much, body hair missing pattern reversed, head hair and nails must be trimmed, skulls and brains not in the same ballpark, locomotion most obvious difference, speech, throats completely redesigned, we saw that slide, sex no sign of typical ester cycles. Now let's focus on these last two for a minute. Genetic disorders. We have over 4,000 and counting. 4,000 genetic disorders in our gene pool collectively. Meaning you can find these 4,000 genetic disorders from Eskimos to Watusis. We all carry on average about 250. You may have 200, your wife may have 100, but if you two carry the same one, each of your children has a one in four shot of expressing it. Now, the key to this is simple. In nature, you just don't have that many. Faulty copies are done away with. Faulty products are done away with. Most things breed very true in nature, plants and animals. There are very few. Things like albinism, you'll find that in gorillas and alligators. And, you know, I mean, and al but it being an albino doesn't kill you. It doesn't really stop you from reproducing, so you can bring that kind of a, that kind of a gene flaw into the gene pool. But we have a couple of dozen that kill you dead before you reach the age of puberty. Whatever. You can't pass it on. There should not be a single one of those spread through the gene pool. Why? Because how did it get there? If it can't be spread through sexual reproduction, what's it doing there? 
It's there because of genetic manipulation. That's what all 4,000 of them are there for. Genetic manipulation. And mistakes were made and left because whoever was making the manipulations didn't care. Didn't care to get it right. They just were hurrying to get the job done. And so they left. Did they care if they were making something? Did they care if it killed one in ten? Did they care if it killed one in a hundred? Didn't care. If they're making sentient beings like us, they're doing it for a reason, and they're not doing it for our benefit. They're doing it for their benefit. This is a very interesting thing to look into yourself. 4,000 plus genetic disorders. We got one more clip from Lloyd Pye where he's going to get into the chromosomes, which is even more earth shattering. Um, but 4,000 different genetic disorders. I had a thought occur to me as I was preparing this, because at the same time I was preparing this, it's interesting that when I posted the announcement for this show on my telegram, some people created a whole conversation about germ theory versus terrain theory. And I'm like, well, no, that's not what the show is going to be, but that's okay. Stay tuned. And yet I'm watching this and I'm thinking again with that, you've got two diametrically opposed ideas fighting it out. Kind of reminds me of like creationism and Darwinism, two diametrically opposed ideas, battling it out, one upping each other here and there over a long period of time, still going on to this day, no resolution. There isn't some final, oh, right, yeah, it must be this because, yeah, right. Like, it's just, it's on and on and on. And I'm thinking, well, how do we resolve these diametrically opposed views to find the truth? Because the truth does that. It resolves conflict. And I'm thinking, that paper that Dr. Judy Mikovits brought up, 100 Years of Suriman, Some of the discussions I have with Dr. Brian Artis, wherever you think about the overall theory that he brought out, interesting components that we never thought about before until he brought it out. So whether you take the whole thing or not, the idea of using elements of nature as a weaponized form of attack on, a, on humanity could also be a part of genetic manipulation. These venoms and toxins have been used from animals for thousands of years for all kinds of purposes, healing weapons, assassinating a foreign leader, whatever that knowledge that was gleaned by these apothecaries who were experts, the, 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 uh, the herbologists, they were experts at knowing how these elements interact with our bodies. How do I say this? And this is just me throwing shit at the wall. Okay. You guys let me know what you think. But what if, if what Lloyd Pye is bringing up there is true, that contained within our genome is 4,000 plus genetic disorders, that we are the only living organism on this planet that has that many defects and was not wiped out naturally, like everything else would be. If it's a result of genetic manipulation or whatever you think it was that brought it into being, what if the knowledge was learned about how to activate 
those genetic disorders? And what if that is what a lot of these diseases are? They are manufactured. The reason it's spread could be because of contagion. There could be validity to contagion theory after all. Parts of it true, parts of it false. For those of you who go, no, it's impossible. Nothing can jump. Spike proteins can't jump through spittle and infect you. It's all psychosomatic. Sure, there's definitely a psychosomatic element, but how do we find the bridge between these two concepts? What if you bring in Rupert Sheldrake's theory, morphogenic field, 100th monkey syndrome. One monkey starts to do something, all of a sudden all the monkeys in the world start to do the same thing, even though they didn't see that original monkey do it. There's a messaging system that takes place. A text message goes through the, the field to the other group, people in the group, the other beings in the group. Just a theory. What if the knowledge of sophisticated biological warfare has to do with the knowledge of the fact that humanity was genetically manipulated and there's genetic disorders that they know how to activate and open up by using technology? by using the introduction of synthetic uh, weaponized poisons or toxins, bacterias? What if some of this is also natural that just happens as a result of this? And the fact that we're living beings living here with these disorders and we interact with certain properties and suddenly it activates something and now we have the symptoms of being sick and that sim those symptoms can lead to our demise. It was just a thought that occurred to me that maybe could I don't know. I'm not the expert. I'm just thinking out loud. If we have genetic defects and someone on this planet knows how to tinker with that and maybe even put them there or created them over time, or it's just the byproduct of all this research and experimentation that's been done on us, they would also possess the knowledge of how to activate that and weaponize that if they so chose to do that. It's just a thought, just a thought back to this subject. Um, I guess it's all the same subject in the end. Those 12 reasons he gives, and it's in his books, and you can go look it up and independently verify it, that there's these different, and there's actually been more. There's a good uh, book by Max Flint and Otto Binder, um, who wrote a book about the deep, there's a whole like three chapters or so on how many differences there are between human beings, other primates, and other forms of life on the planet, and how we stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and that there's a gigantic leap that they're asking you to believe in in order to believe in some kind of sequential evolutionary stage when it comes to humans. There's definitely a process of evolution, but it's just they've altered it and it doesn't make any sense if you take it literally or take it all in. So um, if, this, if these 12 reasons exist that humans are not primates, then what are we? We are the creation of like the whole Bible story comes in or all these ancient stories come in and go, oh, that was the evidence of the gods or God or whatever. Um, the scientist, though, still has to wrap their head around that and go, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense because nothing else has that. So then the, that, the theory of intervention would fill that or genetic manipulation. It'd be the evidence of the signature of genetic manipulation. There's other scientists that have pointed out other key points of evidence that show uh, different fusion of different things. Uh, the fact that many, there are many elements 
in our genome that look the same as the elements that show up in cloned sheep and cloned animals, which begs the question, are many of people walking around clones? Is there something to do with that? Or is this all a product of that? And the reason all of this is relevant to even consider in this context is that if they are trying to create a new being, a new human off of the old, maybe this is their way of just updating whoever's doing this, their way of updating us to better suit the world environment that they're trying to create, which is more and more a synthetic technological environment. So if you want the technology, you got to do away with mock whatever version of that human, that living organism. There's also another thing to consider here in light of this is that maybe these people, these whatever controllers don't need us anymore as they're openly saying. And so they're going through the process of filtering it out and bringing in a new stage of evolution themselves, playing God. That's the basic basic uh, theory of it. But let's go to the final clip of Lloyd Pye where he wraps it up. And then I'm going to come back with some closing thoughts. So here we go. Final clip. Let's see if all this ties together or not. Same with domesticated plants. Same with domesticated animals. We're no different than them. Somebody came here and designed this planet to suit them. And we are a product of that program, whatever that program was. That's what I believe. That's what I would like you to consider as a possibility. Next slide. Three primates and a human. Remember three, baby, three men and a baby? Three primates and a human. You have the human, chimp, gorilla, orangutan. And, you know, you always hear this from the other side. Well, gee, it's, all, it's so much the same. It's so much uh, DNA, so much the same. Geez, there's just, just a little step from them to us. Surely we evolved from them. Surely we did. But, you know, we're an awful lot like a mouse, too. Awful lot like a rabbit. But we are a lot like other primates. What's the difference? Well, you know, you, it looks pretty much the same, doesn't it? But there is a difference. They all have 48 chromosomes, and we have 46. Remember, we lost the two chromosomes somehow, some way. But guess what? That's an awful lot of DNA. That's an awful lot. How could we be even as close as we are, and we're wildly different from them, but how could we even be as close as we are if we lost two whole chromosomes? Guess what? This is the big secret they don't tell you. We didn't lose them. We didn't lose those two chromosomes. Guess what? Guess what? Next slide. Somebody fused them. The second one. The second one. Somebody took number two and number three on the primates and in us fused it together. Why do you suppose they would want to do that? Keep the whole chromosome package there, but turn two into one. Why? What if they wanted to breed us with something that had 46 chromosomes and breed us regularly to them and create an offspring that way? They would have to combine the package and reduce it from 48 to 46 without losing any of the DNA. And that's what they did.
That is what they did. Next slide. Prediction number five, humans are not native to planet Earth. Along with domesticated plants and animals, we have been genetically engineered by outside intervention for unknown purposes. Now, this is the big one. This is the one you may not want to jump off with. This is what I believe, and this is what I believe is going to be found to be the truth downstream. I don't know how far it'll be, but I think the evidence is jumping out all over the place right now, and nobody wants to look at it because, again, this is going to be have, have to be crammed down some very unwilling throats. But it is the truth, and it will come out. And whether I see it or not, you will remember that you were here tonight and heard me put it out together in this package for the first time. Wow, a lot to take on board, eh? Rest in peace, Lloyd. Just a amazing, amazing, amazing. Even though I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't want to swallow that pill that he left you with. It's interesting to look at. It's important we try to be honest with ourselves and try to ask, is there even anything, any part of it that's real? And does it have anything to do with the belief system of these elites that are trying to build the technotronic world? Because if they believe this, then that's why they're just going, yeah, yeah, we can just cut and paste wherever we want. Here's CRISPR. We can edit genes on the spot using these molecules. We have all these biochemical ways of doing it. We have these technological ways of doing it. We've actually been doing it for a long time by tinkering with your air, water, and food. You've been ingesting the drugs and the shots that we've been giving you for generations. Humanity has changed dramatically just by since the, you know, 1700s to now, since World War II to now, we've changed. We're being changed. It's not just natural. We're being changed. Technology is changing us, but the, everything's changing us. Who, who doesn't want you eating organic food? Who doesn't want you drinking raw milk? Who doesn't want you to have land so you can grow food? Who, do, who wants to take out 30% of the nitrogen so that farmers are handicapped to feed you? Who wants to have you eating synthetic meat? Who wants to have you eating genetically modified organisms? Who's injecting you with cells and DNA from different animals and aborted fetuses at a rate that would, it really blows the mind. Who's spraying shit in the sky? Why? Is it all just contrails that just end up turning into a big puff of cloud and turns in and takes out the whole sun of the day and ruins your blue sky? Is that just a bunch of contrails? Or is there something being put up there that's falling onto the planet? Get into a gentleman named Clifford Carnicom. Clifford Carnicom. I interviewed him, I think, back in like 09. Uh, he's, he had something called the Carnicom Institute. And the kind of stuff that they found in samples given to them from all over the world that they've tested in their own labs is just, it's terraforming. It's what else could it be? I don't know. Everybody thinks they're just poisoning us all the time. It's not just that they're altering the fish tank. They're altering the fish in the fish tank. They're altering the water in the fish tank. And why? Just questions. 
If we go back to uh, one more point I want to bring up, it's a quote from Lawrence Gardner. He's a great author. It just kind of puts a little more perspective on what Lloyd Pye is bringing up there, just as a question that science has to answer. It took man, he says, over a million years to progress from using stones as he found them to the realization that they could be chipped and flaked to better purpose. It then took another 500,000 years before Neanderthal man mastered the concept of stone tools and a further 50,000 years before crops were cultivated and metallurgy was discovered. Metallurgy is another, <laughs> how the hell did we figure that out? Hence, by all scales of evolutionary reckoning, we should still be as far removed from any basic understanding of mathematics, engineering, or science. Yet here we are, only 7,000 years later, landing probes on Mars. So how did we inherit this wisdom, and from whom? Are we walking around seeing a bunch of half-transitioned chimps or gorillas and humans? Are we, are we seeing hybrid creatures walking around as evolution is at a different stage? Or is it just so big that we're not going to see that? Why are we so different? And being different or having any kind of genetic alteration or transhuman, ancient transhumanism done to us doesn't negate our humanity. It doesn't. I know it, it sounds like it does. It sounds sickening to think, man, are we just some kind of a lab rat in an experiment and we're somebody's property? Like what the hell's going on here? But I say to bring an optimistic view that even this is part of the grand unfolding of the universe. Even though it's a crime, even though it's evil, even though it's horrific, we're doing this shit to creatures on our own planet. And we're getting karmic law coming back at us. So whoever's doing this to us, if this turns out to be true, they're operating against that universal law, that natural law, that God's law, and that's going to come back on them. That's why justice is coming. Because that's nature. Nature brings about justice eventually. Nature always wins. Humanity always loses, trying to butt its head against the laws of nature. And so by them violating those laws in ancient times and modern, or if you still only want to accept that it's only happening in modern times, that's fine. They're violating the primal forces of nature. They're violating the creator. They're violating humanity. And there's repercussions for that. And if we realize that we do have free will, we do have the will for you to sit here this long and entertain these ideas and think about this and do your own research, you have that much free will at least, then that is the hope. That is one of the hopes here, is that you can choose if you want to go into their transhuman dystopic new world order, or if you want to be a part of the people on this planet that are incarnated in these physical bodies as tampered as they may have been with to create a totally different world than what these people are trying to create. A world that is in line with the natural order, a world that is in line with laws of nature, a world that is built for human thriving, human, the best parts of humanity. And it doesn't mean we're going to do away with all the bad. It's, I don't think that, I think that's going to be a part of our reality. It's just part of our reality here, but we can improve it. 
And humans are the improvers. We're the gardeners. We're the caretakers. There's even theories out there that say this manipulation wasn't for malevolent purposes. It was there to assist the process and speed it up a little bit. Others say, nope, the gods were evil, and it was just about creating a slave species. However you take it, that doesn't take away our original or our original origins as conscious souls, as consciousness itself. The body, the vehicle that we are traveling this life in is one thing, and they can play around with that. You could even genetically alter yourself if you wanted to. By inject, ingesting enough genetically modified food, you could genetically alter yourself at, on certain levels. But that doesn't take away from the epigenetics, the metaphysics, the spirit science, the what we call spirit and soul. It might just end up being photonic light or whatever, but that's just a scientific explanation of the same thing. So take pick your language, soul, photonic light, doesn't matter. It's all the same in the end. Um, that's your true origin. The thing that animates you, the, the spirit that animates you and gives you life versus the corpse that has no life in it. They can't touch that. And I know there's the theories that all as a whole is all cage of the souls, a harvester of souls. They set up a portal and don't run away from the light. I've heard all that shit too. I don't, I don't know about that. I think that's a little too doom and gloom for me. And I don't know if there's really any evidence of it. I believe that you can transcend it because we, because we've had the great teachers, the great sages, the great, uh, the great geniuses that have come to say, no, no, if like that second clip I played of Michael, where he was just saying, we, if we listen to different minds, different people who were humanitarians, who were enlightened, who were trying to improve the world, really to create a world of freedom, truth, and human thriving. That's, that's who we should have listened to. Why did we not listen to them? Why did we burn all those people at the stake and lock them away and throw away their books and tune out when they were talking and instead listen to the technocrats, the transhumanists? And if we did, that means that was a choice and that means that choice can be made different now. That means we could be hurtling towards a great reset, new world order, transhumanist, robotic future, or we do have the choice to sway it the other direction where it's a great awakening. It's a great thriving. It's the next stage of evolution of humanity. All right. But it's not just all about technology. It's about spirit technology. It's about soul and consciousness technology. It's about the thing that animates all life. Even those that came and tinkered around, even us, the source field, the real God, whatever you want to call it. That is how we move forward. Going more natural as they're creating an unnatural world around you and creating unnatural food for you and your children and injecting you with God knows what. You have a choice with that. You have a choice. And you have a choice if you're just going to be drowned out in the pages of history by these people who are being exposed in every possible area right now. If they were really the all the, as much in control as they probably wish they were, if they had as much power as they did, they are getting an ass kicking right now, and it's just beginning, which means the bad guys aren't the only show in town.
it means we can still do something here as humans where we can create a world that will benefit humanity as opposed to destroy it, which is what they want to create. They want a new human, a better pet, a better slave that doesn't talk back, that doesn't drive a bunch of trucks to their front lawn and honk horns and saying, give me my freedom back, you bastards. That doesn't go out and rebel when they try to seize your farmland and starve your people. That doesn't just sit there and take it when they're injecting you with toxic stuff that's going to make you sterile, weak, sick, or even kill you. That doesn't just sit down and watch this happen. That is not the world we have to have. That is not the situation we have to be in. And it all comes down to an individual decision. What kind of world do you want? And actually, before you can ask what kind of world do you want, you have to ask yourself the one question. I can't answer it. You got to define this for yourself. This is the way I see it. What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean? Is it worth preserving? Are we just a disease? Are the globalists right? Are we just a disease? Are we just a virus? Are we just like we've been turned into that, but that doesn't mean that was our natural order because people exist in the world that aren't like that. So something happened to manipulate us into being the worst versions of ourselves. And it may have even started on a physical, biological level, as well as a psychological level. But we can change that. We can change a lot of it. Maybe not all of it, but we can change a lot of it. We can start by changing this. I don't know about changing this. Maybe there's a reason our lifespans have been cut down to less than 100 years. Maybe before there was you know, all these legends talking about longer lifespans, naturally, organically. And now they're going to take that away from you by closing those genetic lines off. And then they're going to sell it back to you by saying, oh, just we'll just implant your consciousness in a computer. Don't worry about it. Here's your eternal life. We don't have to go with that. Maybe there's a way we can activate our old junk DNA that we just have been listening to the wrong people. Maybe there's brilliant discoveries yet to be had. There's so much more research to be done in every field I've just presented to you. There's probably even theories I haven't even comprehended. There's ideas to explain all these anomalies in a way we've never even heard before. But we have to start by having these discussions. we got to think outside the box. we got to be brave enough to go out there and start talking about it. And yeah, you're going to piss a lot of people off. Because people prefer to be stuck in their paradigm. But those of us out there that aren't afraid to be explorers, that aren't afraid to break new ground, that aren't afraid to ask the tough questions, that aren't afraid to have the hard conversations, that want to try to build a better world based on freedom, truth, justice, and a thriving humanity and a thriving ecology to actually clean up the oceans, to actually stop this pollution in a real way, not this crap UN Greta Thunberg climate change crap, the uh, con to enhance humanity in a way that's really building back better, meaning reactivating that hidden, that lost DNA, reactivating uh, that spirit of humanity. And instead of going along this train, that's going to lead to our annihilation and our replacement. And it's a choice. That's the end. It's a choice between the great reset and the great awakening and the great awakening is not just a big mass of people the great awakening happens inside you first and me first it happens there and it's the awakening that happens when you see wow there are different ways to interpret reality than were handed to me and spoon-fed to me by my masters there were there were brilliant people out there there were there are brilliant ideas out there that came across to humanity 
that would have built a totally different world. Klaus Schwab wouldn't have even existed in that world. So let's create that world. And I think that's where we're at. We got to fight this tyranny, but start not just fighting. Like just fighting means you're only on the defensive. We have to start being offensive in the way, not talking about violent revolutions. I'm talking about in the way of going with that Buckminster Fuller principle of you don't just destroy the old model. You create a better model. And the old model dies of its own accord, falls on its own sword. So that's what we got to do. And that's what I think we are doing. I believe that there's a bright future ahead of us as an option. There's a timeline where we create a world unimaginable. We transcend all these past traumas and all this manipulation that's happened on so many different levels. And we create a better world that's never even existed. There's that. And you have to go for that. Or we just sit back, do nothing, keep fighting amongst ourselves about a bunch of bullshit that doesn't matter and let these guys make a clean sweep and turn us into 2.0 version of their farm animals. I don't want that world. That's my true uh, motivation for presenting this information. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to recruit you into some way of thinking. I'm just putting it all on the table. And I know you guys have probably put some amazing chats in there and uh, thanks for the little donations and whatnot. Sorry, I've been tuned out of it. Um, this presentation took a lot of research and prep. I'm gonna do more follow-ups on it. I still have so much to learn. Um, I'm still in, still in training, so to speak, because uh, the more I learn, the more I realize I just don't know. And that's, that's where we're at. So with that, guys, um, I hope it gave you something to think about. Bit of pro, bit of con outside the box. And uh, let's go and fight the future. Let's fight against this dark future and create a future worth having. And uh, I think we can do it. I think it's happening. I'll do another show soon talking about some amazing things that are going on in terms of uh, some massive uh, exposures and lawsuits and, and ways that this whole deep state cabal apparatus is being taken down. There are good people in the world. There is good in the world. There is good in this universe. It's a duality. It's both. I just think the bad guys have the best PR. So they make it around quicker. Everybody starts to believe they're the only guys. It's not the case. You and I are sitting here right now, and if we put our mind to it, we can create a world. We can create a world better than this transhumanist future. We can create uh, the humanist future, the, the future for humanity, the future for um, getting back in, in league with the divine order of this universe. So that's my goal, and I hope you'll join me. Thanks for joining me for this very long presentation. Sorry it was so long. It took me this much time to pack it all in. And can you believe it? There's still so much more to go along with it, but I hope I gave you enough. What I'm going to do, guys, I'll put all my slides and my notes over on my Telegram channel. Please go follow me, t.me, dwtruthwarrior. My main website is dwtruthwarrior.com. That is the portal that you can get all my recent shows. You can get access to all the other projects I'm involved with. You can find my social medias. Um, and uh, my main one is my Telegram, as I said. My documentary series, which is still ongoing, eight chapters in. You can watch it all for free right now over at cultofthemedics.com. And if you'd like a deeper investigation into a lot of these questions and so much more, go check us out at unslave.com. It's a premium service, a couple bucks a month, but it's more than worth it. One of a kind information to help you think outside the box and reclaim your freedom. That's the goal. So thanks everybody for tuning in and I'll catch you soon. Cheers.